And we are on air this Monday night, July the 10th, and it's for our Atlanta NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off here at Fan for Racing Radio. Uh, Sal will be joining us here in just a few minutes, and in the meantime, I'll give you our rundown of the agenda for tonight. We're going to start in the first half hour, of course, with our latest short track news, and then we'll review the Arkham and Art Series race that took place at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, and we'll include the Arca East and Arca West Series update. In the next half hour, we're going to review the NASCAR Truck Series race that took place at Mid-Ohio, and then the NASCAR Xfinity Series race that took place at Atlanta Motor Speedway. In our third half hour, we have a guest, Holly Clark, driver of the number 17 SRL Pro Late Model and uh, Modified Series. For Steve Clark Racing, we'll join the conversation. And then we review the NASCAR Cup Series race that took place out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We're going to end our episode with NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off in our fourth half hour and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, talking with the Pan for Racing crew there. Again, Sal Scala should be here shortly. Uh, I'll go ahead and get started with some short track news. I'll have to kind of be watching back and forth uh, in the studio here to make sure that we uh, catch Sal when he does arrive. Uh, but let me start. Uh, Eric Joan Pace's Slinger Nationals practice day. Uh, you can read about that. They had practice today for the Slinger Nationals that are coming up this week, and Eric Jones uh, paced the field. So uh, that was really good to see the NASCAR connection there. Uh, let me see. Also, again, I'm kind of tallying back, juggling back and forth between the studio and the news, watching for Sal. Uh, also, the uh, entry list is up for the uh, NASCAR Cup Series Crayon 301 that will take place at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, so you can check that out over at Racing America. And 10th time's a charm for Tom Carey III out at Oxford Plains. Uh, he finally got that win, and you can read about his victory uh, over again at Racing America. Also, Butch Miller's RSVPs to the ASA 50th Anniversary Racers Reunion. So uh, Miller is a three-time Red Bud 400 winner at Anderson Speedway and the only driver to win the grueling race three consecutive years. So, again, you can read about that at Racing America. Okay. Uh, let me see. We've got maybe another couple we can get. Okay. There's some schedule changes following the rain-delayed mid-season championships at White Mountain. So uh, weather's been playing havoc uh, again at the East Coast. I know there's been a lot of flooding today, and uh, a lot of these uh, races are getting rescheduled. So watch for updates about that. Also, Five Star Race Car Bodies presenting a sponsor is the presenting sponsor of the Slinger Nationals broadcast. So uh, that's uh, pretty cool as well. All right, I'm going to move over here to Flow Racing. Let me see if Sal's on yet. Nope, he's still not here. 
Uh, okay, so I'm going to go over to Flow Racing and uh, see what I can do over here as far as the news. <clears throat> Tuesday night showdown at Davenport Speedway next for the Lucas Oil Light Models. So that Tuesday is tomorrow night uh, that fans will want to be tuning in at Flow Racing uh, to watch that race. Uh, it's a big one. Uh, it says how to watch the 2023 Dirt Duel at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. You can find out how you can make that happen over at Flow Racing as well. Uh, the NHMS Dirt Duels will be streamed live on Flow Racing. So uh, they'll have a lot of those uh, events over there. Also, the 2023 Eldora Million at Eldora Speedway, everything you need to know about that race is over at Flow Racing. So uh, you'll want to check that out as well. Still no sales, so I guess I'll move on here. Uh, how to watch the 2023 MLRA late models at Adams County Speedway. Uh, that's available over at uh, Flow Racing as well. And Mother Nature, no match for sunshine. Tyler Courtney at Sharon Speedway uh, did her thing for the 15th annual Lou Blaney Memorial on Saturday evening. Uh, but it sounds like they did have to deal with some rain uh, there as well. And Brady Bacon goes from Rutgers to Checkers with USAC Sprints at Macon, Illinois, a mere 24 hours after he and his car sat upside down in a crumpled heap following a meeting with the turn two outside wall. Bacon returned to his form and uh, was able to pull out that victory. So uh, pretty exciting news there. Again, over at Flow Racing, they have quite a lot. And uh, they have the results of the racing that took place uh, just this past weekend. You'll want to check that out. That's under the results tab. And also they have a schedule that will tell you the races that are upcoming uh, so that you can uh, plan your schedule uh, to see local dirt track racing or asphalt racing or any kind of racing at your local uh, short tracks where you live. All right, still no Sal. He's really behind here. He must be stuck in traffic. I know that happens sometimes. He's coming straight from work to the uh, Fan for Racing radio show. And uh, <clears throat> I've not seen him yet, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be here. So we'll keep an eye out for Sal Segala. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to move over to short track scene. Um, <clears throat> so the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series, Brown and Huffman uh, split at Hickory this past weekend. So uh, you can there was a twin number one and twin number two. Uh, each of them took a victory there, and then Ron Silk. In the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour, bumps his way to Wall Stadium Tour win. So, uh, again, that sounds like an interesting race to check out over at Short Track Scene. And in the Pro Late Models, a wild last lap nets Logan Jones, Wake County Cars, PLM win, Pro Late Model win. So uh, you want to check that out as well. 
there's a lot over here at uh, Short Trek's scene. Todd Patnody foils Hirschman's bid in 10,000 racers honoring racers 100. There's also the Super Southern Super Series. Jake Garcia survives to win the Southern Supers at Nashville. And Bobby McCarty declared the Sobo 200 winner. Quapo and Huffman were DQ'd. So more DQs in the uh, short track world. You can read about that one over at Short Track Scene. And Casey Call conquers star for the second GSPSS win in Key Auto Group 100, the Granite State Pro Stock Series. So you'll want to check that out. Still waiting for Sal here. Uh, Carson Quapple claims the South Boston 200. Again, you can read about that over at uh, Short Trek Scene. Ty Majeski's intake cleared after an additional inspection. So uh, that was uh, ASA Stars Tour race. Uh, Apparently they had to... uh, that was at the Milwaukee Mile, and they had to do an additional inspection. That's kind of late news, um, meaning that uh, it's something that's uh, been known for a while now. Uh, but I think I've given you the most recent news uh, at the home page of Short Track Scene. And Sal is finally here, so let's uh, bring him into the queue. Welcome to the show, Sal. Oh, hi, Sharon. Thanks. Yeah, I've been back and forth uh, checking to see when you were able to make it. Um, It's good to have you here. Oh, thank you. Uh, Do you have any uh, short track news from the SRL series? No, other than we're racing this weekend at uh, at, uh, Stockton. Over at Stockton, we'll be running the – this will be the first time they ever run the modified the uh, SRL Modifieds in Stockton. But we're running oh. modified uh, pro late models and, the, and then, of course, the super late models. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how these Modifieds race over here. Um, they've never raced there before. So uh, everybody's looking forward to it, and uh, it's going to be a um, huh. going to be an exciting race, I'll tell you that. Okay, and then... Uh, you weren't here when I was going through our uh, agenda, but Holly Clark, driver of the number 17 SRL Pro Late Model Series and Modified Series for Steve Clark Racing, uh, is going to join us uh, in our third half hour. Uh, did you want to tell us anything about Holly? Actually, she's um, she's on fire right now. Um, she's uh, had... I think her last three finishes in the modifieds, she's finished second, and then she just come up. She's just coming off of a second place finish over here at Kern in, in our last um, in our last uh, prolate model race. But um, man, I'll tell you, she's really uh, she's really making uh, headway, and uh, she's got a lot of people watching her right now. So um, it's going to be exciting to. Uh, you know, to ask her, you know, just, you know, basically just talk, uh, you know, racing with her. And she uh, is doing well in both of those series, right? The uh, Pro Late Mall oh, yeah. series, SRL, as well yeah. as the Mod. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. She's doing really good in both of them. So um, she's doing double duty. And um, 
like I said, uh, she's um, she's hanging, she's hanging with the, she's being a racer out there. So it's going to be exciting to see, um, you know, to see how how she uh, prevails this weekend on on this on this little uh, little track. She's been out there before in the pro lane, so. Um, okay, uh, really well, we'll have. We'll have the first 15 minutes of our third half hour with her, and then afterward is when we are going to review the NASCAR Cup Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway this past weekend. Uh, I've been through all of the three sites, Sal, uh, Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene. Um, Was there anything that kind of uh, uh, got your attention that you want to make sure we talk about in any of those three sites? Not, not really the three sites. Just um, if uh, if any of you have a uh, if any of you are going to be by um, by uh, Flow Racing tomorrow, you definitely want to check out the Slinger Nationals. Oh um, yes. Uh, yeah, as you notice, uh, uh, William Byron just added his name to the list on um, on Sunday, so um, it's going to be an exciting. Um, it's going to be an exciting time of racing. Uh, it's, a, it's a big event, and uh, uh, Derek Thorne's out there, of course, this week. Um, so it's going to be. Uh, and I think it's I just read Derek Jones kind of paced the field uh, during the practice yeah, today for the Slinger Nationals. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah I, yeah, I think he was sitting fourth is where I didn't get a chance to really pay much attention. I've been really super busy at work, so I just got to really um, let me see where he's at. Derek right now is uh, sitting second. Actually, yeah, he's sitting second in, 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 in practices. Uh, uh, William Solich, Derek Thorne, Gio Rogerio, Connor Jones, Luke Penhouse, Derek Krause, Ty Majeski, William Byron Ace. Austin Mason, ninth, and uh, Levon De, uh, Digest uh, rounded out the top ten. And then, uh, okay, you're 12th, looking at uh, the one that I'm looking at. Are you looking at the one at Racing America? No, I'm, I'm looking at the one on, on Racing uh, on um, uh, on Race Monitor. Oh, okay, because. Um, the practice uh, results that I saw was Eric Jones in first, Luke Fenhouse in second, Ty Majeski in third, William Byron fourth, Jeremy Leepak in fifth, Don DeAngelis sixth, Chase Elliott seventh, Austin Nason is eighth, William Sawalich ninth, and Derek Thorne in tenth um, to round out the top ten. So I'm looking over at Racing okay. America. Okay, yeah, you got to remember they run, they run two, they run a couple of practices. So probably the practice that I'm looking at might have been from the second. No, this from was the during second, the final or it round. Might have been from the first. Yeah, okay, might have right, been. Okay, all right, then I'm the... looking at the first practice. Yeah, from the first. Okay, this was the last practice, so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're looking at two different practice uh, times here. All right, we are going to have to move over to the Arkham Menard series because. Um, and I sent you some info over on the team's uh, site, Sal. Uh, we've got some notes here for the Arkham Art Series post 
the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course Sinzer 150. Uh, and I'll go ahead and get started. The NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular and 2018 Arkham and Art Series East champion, Tyler Ankrum, led the final five laps to score the victory in the Arkham and Art Series Zinsser 150 at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Ankrum led twice for a total of 21 laps, but he was forced to charge through the field after being forced off the course in turn one while battling for the lead on the restart following the midweek race. So uh, it was a pretty eventful race, uh, but Tyler Ingram actually prevailed uh, to get that victory. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, to say the least, it wasn't a very pretty race um, for the get-go. Yeah, we'll to the end, there's a lot of... Yeah, it wasn't a very pretty race, so I mean, yeah, um, it's 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 just sad to see what what where the series has gone, you know, and the way people are racing it. But either way, congratulations to Tyler Akram, man. He really had to work his way back a couple of times to get the lead and finally get the win, um, which he was a class of the field to begin with, anyways. When he when the race when the pre fight dropped, he was fast. Yeah, he was the 354th different driver to win at least one Arkham and Art Series race. Uh, and then the current Arkham and Art Series East Championship leader, William Sawalich, finished second, 5.011 seconds behind Ankrum at the line. Sawalich is now finished in the top ten in each of his last three starts. He won at Berlin Raceway and was second last weekend out at Elko Speedway. Yeah, he. Uh, I'll tell you, he's been um, he's been on he's been on fire this year. Uh, you know, he's he's been uh, doing you know uh, uh, really well in the series. You know, as far as his finishes and and everything like that. So I mean, he's really um, been a, a threat. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see if we can get him on the show. Uh, Jack Wood scored his best career Arkham and Art Series finish in third place. It marks his second top five finish of the season with his fifth uh, top ten finish in six Arkham and Art Series starts this year. So uh, that's a good feat for Jack Wood. Oh, yeah. Jack was uh, – he was another one that was uh, – <laughs> he's another one that had an up and down uh, – that had a, a um, an up and down day at the at the track. Okay, so uh, it ended out well. So Jesse Love, he was forced to start at the back of the field. He had some electrical issues that caused him to miss qualifying. He quickly charged from 19th starting spot to the runner-up position, and then moved into the lead on the restart following the mid-race break. He led eight laps before dropping to fourth with now a fuel pressure issue over the final handful of laps. So uh, a little misfortune there for Jesse Love. Yeah. He was another one that was up and down, up and down, up and down. It seemed like all the drivers were up and down. I mean, I mean, no driver really just took, you know, just really took the, you know, the race by the, the race by the horns. 
Okay, and then there was Frankie Munoz. He returned to the site of his open-wheel career-ending crash and matched his career-best Arkham Menard Series finish in sixth place. Munoz remains second in the uh, Arkham Menard Series championship standings. He's now 43 points behind leader Jesse Love. Yeah, and, and uh, for those of you that didn't watch the race, Frankie came on afterwards during his press conference and said that there's a good chance he won't make the race at Iowa because of a uh, uh, sponsorship. Oh, that's so sad to hear. I hope yeah, it something. Is. I, I, yeah, I hope something comes through for him. But yeah, he he made the announcement. He goes, "There's a chance that I won't be at Iowa." He says because of sponsorship. You know, it's funny. People think you know because he's Frankie Munoz. He's a movie star. He has all this money, but. They also got to remember that he also has a family to support. You know, they don't take money out of out of their personal account. You know, to go race. Right. That's why they have. That's why they get sponsors. You, you know, mm-hmm. to you know for all this, and it's just sad. You know, the way some of the you know some of the people you know look back at you know and and, and think like that. But so uh, you know, we wish the best for um, for uh, for Frankie. Let's hope that uh, sponsorship comes through there. And then the Arkham and Art Series West Championship contender Todd Souza made the long haul from Central California to race at Mid-Ohio, and he was rewarded with a seventh-place finish. Souza brought brake issues throughout the day, but he was able to stay on course and avoid the late race incidents in front of him to gain several positions over the last five laps. Yeah, that was good for Todd to come, you know, to make the trip because usually Todd just only races, uh, only races in the West. He has what, something like a hundred and four, hundred nine starts, hundred fourteen starts in the Arkwood Arts West Series. So that's that's a lot of starts. Okay, Zach Heron scored his best career Arkham Art Series finished in ninth place. He finished thirty third at Daytona in his only other start this season. Yeah, that was a, another good finish. Uh, another rookie. Gosh, there was a lot. Of, when you when you look at the when you look at the field, there was a lot of rookies in the field this race. Yes, there are. Now we're going to get to talk about the one that you wanted to talk about. So, Connor Jones finished eighth, while the other two Venturini Motorsports drivers, Dean Thompson and Sean Hingarani, collided on the final lap, leaving Thompson tenth. And Hingarani, who won the General Tire Pull Award with a new track record in qualifying, he ended up in 13th place. Yeah, that was that was uh, that could have been avoided all in all, but either way, it wasn't. You know what? They Sean felt he. I talked to Sean and, and he felt it. You know, he had it coming to him. Dean Dean did push him off the track earlier in the race, but. You know, either way, you know, they're teammates. Um, I kind of think that Dean should have given, shown him a little bit more respect out there because of the fact that Dean was just a one-off race. And Sean and Jesse love his other teammate, which Dean also put into the dirt. You know, should have uh, Dean should have been a little bit more respectful towards his teammates since they're both ready for championships. You know, and Dean's just out there, you know, to kind of get his feet wet, you know, because he had the truck race uh-huh. the following day. But um, either yeah, way, um, they announced uh, it. 
care yeah. when you've got when you're yeah. racing against other drivers that are racing for points uh and somebody else is racing for that win. I watched the video several times, uh, Sal, and when I look at the video it seems to me that they were both at fault. I'm surprised they only um uh, penalized Tingarani. I think they should have penalized Thompson as well because I think he I, – I figured there was something going on earlier in the race. These two have been back and forth before. This isn't uh, the first time. Uh, but Thompson – I thought Thompson went into Hingarani first, and Hingarani, you know, pushed back. But um, they were both at fault there from what I could see. Yeah, and actually they, they ended up suspending – they, they made an announcement today that they're, they're suspending the Hingarani for one race because yeah, of the, because the incident. And I, and I, and I, and I, I don't agree with ARCA because ARCA, if you're going to, if you're going to penalize a driver, you know, you have to be consistent. You haven't penalized no one all season. And at the beginning of the year, Todd Susan just about killed Tanner Reif at Phoenix when he got into him, when he hooked him and pushed him into the wall at Phoenix going 150 miles an hour. And, and Arca just turned their back on it and let it go. And, and that's a lot more dangerous than when these guys are going 50, 60 miles around a corner. And that was two drivers crashed. now? What, what were the, who huh? were the two drivers? It was, um, it was at the, at the beginning, at the beginning of the season. It was Todd Susan. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't ask where, I was Susa. asking who. Oh, it, no, it was, it was Todd Sousa and Tanner Reif. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I, uh, I, I just think Thompson should have been penalized, too, in this case. But you're right, they should be consistent. I mean, it, it, made, it made for good, uh, it made for good um, uh, reaction on social media. You know, if that's what they're looking for, you know, they, you know, they, they did get a, you know, they did yeah. get a lot of a fan, uh, a, a lot of bad, of course, you know, and not, not, nothing good ever comes out of nothing like this anyway. You know, the fans are, Joe, Joe Smith today, he's Hingarani's enemy, and then tomorrow he's Hingarani's, um, uh, tomorrow he's Hingarani's best friend, but either way. Yeah. Okay, well, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series is the Calypso Lemonade 150 at Iowa Speedway. That will be on Saturday, July the 15th. Uh, Sean Hingarani will not be there. The race, uh, he will not be on the track, let me put it that way. The race is a combination race that will also award championship points for the Arkham Menard Series East, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 2 starting at 8 p.m., so uh, you've got two series, uh, one race, and points for both of those series. Uh, the Arkham and Art Series West, uh, their next race is the Shasta 150. Uh, that'll be July 29th at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Shasta Speedway, and it will be on Flow Racing. I was just reading something there about that uh, particular yeah. race yeah, as well. Um, yeah, uh, Tyler Reif will be with uh, will be racing with Todd Sousa in that race. He's what not with, is. he's That's not with Loudon Jackson anymore. Yeah, he's not with Loudon Jackson. I talked to Matt. I started talking to Matt, and then I looked and we had to get on the phone, or I would have had more information on that because because Matt's one of the one of the team members from Loudon Jackson. 
but I didn't get a chance to really get into it too much. But, um, yeah, so, uh, anyways, um, it was kind of obvious when uh, when Tyler Rice's mom is, is hanging around Todd Sousa all, all day at Irondale, you know, you kind of knew something was something was brewing. Something was coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you okay. Know, you know, it, it, but either way, you know what, um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I guess at this level, I guess they make uh, team changes too. You know, it's kind of kind of strange because you never hear of it. Mhm. But. Yep. <clears throat> so we'll have to uh, see how that works out. I'm glad that uh, he found another ride with Todd Souza and that they'll both be in that race. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, uh, we are at the top of the hour. We're going to start with the NASCAR Truck Series uh, because they were racing out at Mid-Ohio as well. Uh, and they had their race was the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150. The race winner was Corey Heim at the age of 21, driving the number 11 Safe Light Toyota for uh, Tricon Garage. The crew chief is Scott Zipidelli. It was his fourth victory in 32 Craftsman Truck Series races, his second victory in the 11th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory and first top 10 finish in two races at Mid-Ohio. Zane Smith finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at Mid-Ohio, and it is his seventh top 10 finish of this season. Christian Eckes finished third, posting his second top ten finish in two races in mid-Ohio. And Nick Sanchez, who finished ninth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, just to give a rundown here, uh, he, Corey Heim triumphed in a wild truck series race in mid-Ohio. Uh, he actually started on the pole and finished with his second victory of the year uh, at mid-Ohio sports car course. Uh, he, the win, again, was the second of the season in the fourth truck series win of his career. Smith started from the rear of the field and ended up finishing runner-up. Again, Eckes was third. Then it was Stuart Friesen, Ben Rhodes rounding out the top five, followed by Matt Crafton, Ty Majeski, Matt Benedetto, Nick Sanchez in ninth, and Tyler Ankrum made up the top ten. Tyler said he raced that Arca race uh, to help him in this truck race, so he came home with a top ten finish as a result of that. Ben Rhodes won the first stage, then it was Ty Majeski who won the second stage. There were six lead changes among four drivers and ten cautions for 23 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 54.441 miles per hour. Uh, Sal, your thoughts about the top ten finishers here? Yeah, congrats to Corey Hive, you know, for coming out, you know, and, uh, you know, running this race, you know, and, and, you know, getting the win, you know, from, you know, from a driver like, you know, from Zane Smith, because Zane is a, Zane is a good all-around driver. He's good on road courses. He's good on, he's good on, um, on, uh, ovals too, you know what? And, uh, um, congrats, big congrats to Christian Eckes. I was talking to Bill McAnally on Saturday, last Saturday at the track. And since Christian's already in the chase, he said they're putting all their all their tools into um, Jake Garcia to try and get Jake hopefully into the hopefully into the chase. And I see that Jake here finished 16th. 
you know, so, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, Christian Eckes, you know, with a third-place finish, you know, at least he has, he has one, uh, you know, at least Bill has one, one driver in, in the, um, in the, in the uh, playoffs. Because they got, they, they have, what, two more races to decide it, I think? Yep. They're down to the last two races. This, this, yeah, this, they're down to the last quick. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then and then Nick Sanchez getting that ninth, you know, the highest finishing rookie. Um, sorry, Haley Deegan, you know, you guys can can rip on him and and they still haven't stopped about Nick Sanchez, Nick Sanchez, but you know what? He's um, he's doing something that you're obviously not doing. So um, <laughs> sad, sad. That's a sad situation right there with the Deegans and and the way they're treating Sanchez. But either way, yeah, uh, of course you got the. Bad. It's it's sad. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, you know what? Let it go. It's it's over with. It's been already three races. But yeah, you know, uh, and then um, <laughs> there's just so much going on with this truck series. Um, afterwards, you know, you know, you start listening to all the uh, to all the driver interviews. You know, the ones that that they don't televise that that they show on that you know that come out on Twitter. And uh, uh-huh. some of these drivers that aren't even that aren't even close to making the chase, that haven't even maybe they had a one top five in their whole life, and they're complaining about the series. You know what? And, and it's it's funny, but I mean these guys race hard, and you know what? And and you know what? It's racing. You know what? But congrats against the Corey Hyman, Dane Smith. You know Christian Eck, you feel a top three. Good to see uh-huh. Stuart Friesen get a grab, finally grab a top five too. Uh huh. Okay, sixty-seven laps. Go ahead. There were six. I've got to move on here, Sal. There were sixty-seven laps. uh, Twenty-seven drivers completed all sixty-seven laps. Uh, There were another thirty-two, or a total of thirty-two drivers that finished the race, but they finished uh, one or more laps down. Uh, A couple of drivers had some issues. Colby Howard had a transmission issue. Uh, taking him out of the race on lap 21. Uh, Dale Quarterly had an overheating issue. Uh, he was only able to complete 35 laps. And then Will Rogers was involved in an accident, taking him out on lap 54. And uh, Dean Thompson had uh, an issue, uh, an accident that took him out of the race on lap 59. So those were the drivers that did not finish the race. Uh, the margin of victory between first and second was point nine four seven thousandths of a second. So it was a close finish. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was a good one. So It was a know, good the one. Fans, the fans that were there definitely got their um got their uh got their money's worth. And there's going to be a replay of the race uh, on the Fox Sports app uh, if anybody wants to watch that. I think uh, they've been replaying the race. I've got to look at that again. I might be thinking of the ARCA race. I know the ARCA race has got a replay uh, that's going to be happening on the 12th. So if you've got the Fox Sports app, uh, look for those replays of these races because they do do them on that app. Okay. Uh, anything else that you wanted to mention about the race here? No, that's really basically about it. You know what? Um, uh, boy, that sad really made for some exciting racing. 
that sand. That little sand pit right there, yeah. I felt kind of bad yeah. for Lawless Allen. He, he he got into it. If he had gone straight, he would have gotten out. And all of a sudden, I don't know why he made a right turn. He made the right turn, and then he got stuck. But if he would have just kept going the way he was going, he would have pulled out of it. It would have been, you know, it would have been a, you know, a pretty sweet little move there. But then I still don't know why he, um, why he, he made that he had turn. to make that. But yeah, that right turn and and uh Okay, well let's go ahead and go over the points report then. Yeah, I had to go to NASCAR dot com because J C doesn't have the points. Oh, well that's so, too bad. I know. I thought that's I thought the same thing. So anyways, uh driver standings right now it looks like uh Corey Heim is leading the points. Um 26 points behind him is Zane Smith. Uh, in third... Ty Majewski. Uh, you know what? This thing is... Yeah, they wow. do have it over at uh, Jayski Cell. If you go to the race page and click on the points, driver points, that's what I'm looking at. <sighs> Trucks. Go to the race page from Mid Ohio. Oh, here it is, right here. Okay. Here we go. Okay, Corey Himes, Zay Smith, second, Time Jeske, third, Ben Rhodes, fourth, Granin Finger is at fifth, Christian Eckes is at sixth. Um, and then uh, seventh, we got Cook Carson Hosevar. Eight is Matt uh, D. Uh, Benedetto. Ninth is Dick Sanchez, and Matt Crafton is holding up that tenth spot. So there is a one point difference between Matt Crafton and Stuart Creason right now for that last spot. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, go ahead. And if Jake Garcia wants to make it in, Jake is. 85 points back, which to make up 85 points, basically he's in a he's in a he has to win. Yeah, he's in a win situation. There's no way he'll do it on points. So, um, oh, and and, and then uh, I, one of the big stories today too was a uh, was Taylor Gray finally with uh with uh, three three starts left than Haley Deegan. He finally. He's finally um, up on top around points by seven points. So for for the for the team that was that was one of the big uh, one of their big stories here was that Tater doesn't let um, his old teammate um, finish higher than him in the points. So. Mm-hmm. Just, okay. a little, just a little added curriculum. That's okay. Uh, highest playoff points is Corey Heim with the two race wins and five stage wins. Uh, that's going to help him in the post-race, post-season. Uh, then you've got uh, the second highest is Christian Eckes. He's got the two wins and four stage points, giving him 14 playoff points. And then two drivers are tied at 12 with Zane Smith, two race wins, two stage wins, and then also Carson Hosevar, exactly the same. Two wins, two stage wins at 12 points. 
Uh, one other driver over 10 is Grant Infinger. He's got the two race wins and one stage win, giving him 11. These playoff points are going to make a big difference, I think, in the playoffs. So. Oh, yeah, they're going to make a huge difference. You know what, and it's going to be neat to see, uh, you know, to see, you know, how it, you know, how it all plays out. You know, at, you know, at the end, um, I mean, I mean, we've, we've, we've already seen it before, you know, you know, how, how yep. important it is to have those points. Well, we've seen it where it's been tied and race wins is kind of the, the, uh, or the best, uh, playoff, uh, results is kind of what takes the, uh, breaks the tie. But one point can make a huge difference. Um, a couple of news stories that I'm looking at on the Truck Series uh, page. Marco Andretti is not ruling out a full-time move to NASCAR. Uh, so uh, he his Truck Series debut got off to a great start at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course when he qualified seventh in the Spire Motorsports number seven. So apparently... Uh, he enjoyed uh, that that uh, race. Yeah, I I I read about that about an about an Andretti, you know, him, you know, talking about you know possibly uh, you know coming to NASCAR. Um, I mean, everybody knows how he's doing it in the car. He hasn't won one yet, so I mean, heck, you know what? What might as well come over here and uh. I give it a shot over here, you know what I mean? His his cousin came over here and you know, and did do you know, John Andretti, you know, R A P, you know, bless his heart, you know what, and you know, I'm sure, you know, we all everybody still remembers him. But you know, John Andretti, you know what, he kinda of broke the Andretti mold, you know, and came over to the NASCAR series instead of running, you know, open wheel like the rest of his family. You know, uh-huh. of course everybody knows the history behind Mario Andretti, you know, and the you know, the success, the little success he had over here in, in NASCAR. So, um, you know, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, he's a little bit old, but, you know, I mean, he's he's got the money. He's got the, the resources. The money you know, and the so, desire. You know, yeah, the desire and the resources. So you might as well come on over and, uh, you know, try and catch a, a raceman, you know, before you, before you retire. Okay. Well, another, another, uh, a couple of other drivers who uh, were racing at Mid Ohio include Landon Lewis from the Arkham Menard series. He made his debut with Roper Racing at Mid Ohio this week, and then also Will Rogers. We used to have Will on the show here and there, and uh, he was with Young Young's Motorsports at Mid Ohio this past weekend in the Truck Series. Yeah, he's 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 made a lot of uh he usually comes out he'll come out for all the um for all road the road course. courses because that that's his specialty is road courses. Yeah. So Will usually always come out, you know, for the uh um for all the um road course races. The, uh, he had an accident yeah. um this week so he didn't finish as well as he wanted to. He ended up finishing in uh, 34th place. And then Landon Lewis from the Arkham and Art Series, he had a 24th place finish. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a, uh, uh, 
that was a good finish for Latin. And you know what? I was, uh, you know, I was really, um, you know, excited for him, you know, that, you know, to be able, you know, to get to, uh, to grab that finish. And Marco Andretti, as we mentioned, was also in this race. He ended up with a 19th place finish. Okay, let's move on to the Xfinity Series then, as I pull up my notes here. Um, Xfinity Series. All right. This race was at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the ASCO Uniforms 250. The race winner was John Hunter Nemechek, age 26, driving the number 20 Mobile One Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, his crew chief was Ben Bashore. It was his fifth victory in 84 Xfinity Series races, his third victory and 14th top 10 finish uh, this year, and his first victory and third top 10 finish in four races at Atlanta, uh, Daniel Hamrick finished second. He posted his sixth top ten finish in nine races at Atlanta, and it's his ninth top ten finish this season. Cole Custer finished third, posting his third top ten finish in five races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Sammy Smith, who finished tenth, was highest finishing rookie of this race. And I'm going to go to the... Um, race page here for the Osco uniforms and to do the race rundown. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek took advantage of an overtime restart to win the Xfinity Series race at Atlanta. He grabbed the lead and that overtime restart uh, and went six laps. It went six laps past its posted distance. John Hunter Nemechek streaked to his third Xfinity Series victory of the season uh it's the only time this season the only time Nemechek led during that overtime was during the overtime after a push from Daniel Hemrick powered him into the lead on that final restart despite having an ill handling race car uh Nemechek won that uh, Xfinity series race uh, for his third win of the season, which is increases the regular season championship lead to 16 points. Hemrick finished second, tying his best finish of the 2023 season. Cole Custer picked up his 11th consecutive top 10 finish. Justin Haley, who led a race high 80 laps, was in control of the race until that late caution came out. He ended up finishing in fourth. Sam Mayer runs out the top five. Then it was Ty Gibbs, Kyle Sieg uh, for the best finish of his career in seventh. Parker Kligerman, Josh Williams, and Sammy Smith round out the top ten. Riley Earps won the opening stage, which was the first stage victory of his career. Sheldon Creed claimed the second stage victory, and both drivers were involved in a wreck on lap 89. There were 14 lead changes among nine drivers and eight cautions for 50 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 108.029 miles per hour. Your thoughts about that top ten? Yeah, um, I I didn't get once again I didn't get a chance to see the race. I was at Urdell because we had our our weekly program this week, but um, um, I, I I did catch the end on the of the, you know, John Hunter Nemechek winning the race. And, 
I guess they said that that was one of the best burnouts they'd ever seen by by a driver. You know, it's pretty um pretty spectacular and pretty um entertaining. But um, congratulations to John Hunter even check on the win. Daniel Hemrick, you know, pick up the second. Cole Custer continues, you know, to you know to uh, you know to hopefully get into some type of championship form this year, you know, and with that with that um, third place finish. Uh, you know, other than that, you know, um, Ty Gibbs, you know, who, who came out from uh, from uh, Cup, you know, to race this race, probably to get some, you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more seat time on the track. And then um, Sammy Smith, Sammy Smith finishing tenth is the highest finishing uh, rookie of the race. Yeah, that's pretty cool to see that. There were uh, 28 cars who finished the race. Brendan Poole was the only driver who finished a couple of laps down. Uh, several other drivers did have the incidents, taking them out of the race early. Greg Van Alts was out on lap 62 due to an accident. Ryan Seagout on lap 87 because of an accident. Riley Erbst, Sheldon Creed were both out on lap 88 because of the accident we mentioned there. Anthony Alfredo and Brandon Jones both had uh, damaged vehicle policy um, problems that took them out on lap 90 for Alfredo and lap 91 for Brandon Jones. Blaine Perkins had an accident on lap 96, taking him out of the race. And Kyle Weatherman uh, had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 97. Uh, Mason Maggio had... uh, Let's see, Mason Maggio had an electrical issue, taking him out of the race in lap 102. And Akinori Ogata had a transmission issue that took him out of the race on lap 103. So uh, quite a few drivers were not able to finish this race. Yeah, actually, at the end of the race, Austin Hill had some words for RCR racing. You know, he thinks, you know, they're out to get him. You know, he only had a Austin races for R C R. I know, I don't know why he thinks his teammates he said he made a mention about something about it about R C R racing and or or the way people are racing him or something to that effect. I didn't quite hear the whole interview. But I know he was pretty oh, upset okay. with uh, with some stuff. I I should have I should have listened. I know yeah, I know he's an R C R. I, I should have listened a little bit more and and listened more to the interview. It was that was another interview that was on Twitter, but um, oh okay. The guys on oh, Twitter they'll, well, they'll, they'll get an interview. Yeah, they'll get an interview and, and then they'll they won't finish the whole thing. They'll just get a bit of it, like oh yeah, um, John Smith hit me into the wall and then that's it. And mm-hmm. like okay, so what what transpired from it? You know what they don't they don't play the whole they don't record the interview, but yeah, that's okay. I know it's Twitter. Yeah. 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 Uh, Let's go ahead and cover the points report, Sal. All right. Then the the points are, um, these are their driver points right here. um, John Hunter, Dimitrek still leading the points with uh, three race wins. Picked up his third to tie Austin Hill for the most wins this season. Austin Hill sitting second with three race wins. Um, Cole Custer sitting in third with two race wins. 
Um, and then we go down to Justin Algar with one race win. Um, Chandler Smith himself, he has one race win. And then Josh Berry routes off the top six with zero race wins. And then from there, then we go to Sam Bear uh, sitting in seventh, Daniel Hamrick in eighth, uh, Sammy Smith in ninth with one race win, uh, Sheldon Cree in tenth, Riley Herbst eleventh, and Parker Klingerman brought out the top 12 with Jeb Burton has his one race win, City 13th. So basically, that put Clark, Parker Klingerman on the on the bubble with uh, Brett Moffitt sitting right behind him. Exactly. And if you don't think stage wins make a big difference, uh, take a look at the difference between John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill. One playoff point difference, and the only difference is that uh, they both had the three-race wins, but John Hunter Nemechek has one more stage win at four than Austin Hill, who has only three stage wins. That's the difference between first and second place. Yeah, Cole Custer actually sitting with five stage wins and 15 playoff points. So those He's three. He's got two wins, too. Yeah, with two wins. So those three are probably are probably going to go all the way to the, to the big three. And then whoever's going to be the fourth the fourth driver and in, in for the uh, – unless two other drivers get race wins during the, you know, during the playoffs, you don't know, bump them out. But um, as far as the first round goes, you know, the, you're, you're going to you're, – they're going to have to have three, um, <laughs> three, three new winners to knock John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Hill, and Cole Custer out. Yep. It's going to be an interesting playoff for sure. They've got a few more races left uh, before their playoffs begin. Uh, but uh, they're still getting down to the wire. Uh, some of the news here in the Xfinity Series, Al, MBM Motorsports withdrew from the Xfinity Series race at Atlanta. Um, they announced Friday that it withdrew their 66th entry from Saturday's Xfinity race uh, will be the first time since 2015 that team owner Carl Long has not entered a car in the Xfinity race. Uh, they credited their decision to withdraw based on not having uh, simulator time, and with no practice, the team wouldn't know the speed it has until qualifying. Should qualifying get canceled due to weather, which we, which it has in the last three Atlanta races, the 66 team would be the team not competing as it sits 44th in the owner's standings. The number 66 car has qualified into six races this season with Timmy Hill earning the team its best finish of 30th at Dover Motor Speedway. Chad Fincham, who is slated to drive the 66 car this weekend, will now drive it at New Hampshire Motor Speedway next weekend. So it's hard for some of these smaller teams um, that aren't sure if they're going to be in the race uh, and uh, make it, having to make tough decisions to not go in order to save money for another race down the road. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, to make that decision, you know, you but you have to because of the money involved. You know, you yep. you you're, you really have no choice. Yep, 
it's you know, really... I mean, you can't you can't be throwing money away. You know, it's uh, um, and that's yeah, just you, it. You can't be... watch every penny. Oh yeah, you can't be throwing your money away. You know, especially you know if if you're not in the playoffs, you know, and you're out there, you know, you know, you're out there running. Yep. Now, <clears throat> you remember last year a lot of drivers were having trouble getting onto pit road, uh, so NASCAR made some changes to the pit road speed limit and also the DVP policy, uh, the damage vehicle policy. Um, during green flag pit stops, sections one and two of pit road will be limited to 90 miles an hour, while sections three through 18 were policed at 45 miles per hour. Under under caution flight conditions, pit road speed is 45 miles per hour for the full distance of pit road, starting with the white commitment line in turn three to the pit road exit at turn one. They also added a minute, one minute, for each of the series on the damaged vehicle policy. Uh, do you have any thoughts about any of that? You know what? I mean... I mean, they they had. I mean, you fear they 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 felt they had to do something, you know. I mean, yeah, I guess. You know, for whatever you know, they they at least they explain their you know, at least they explain it. You know, um, you know, I mean, the the drivers coming in, you know what they they play off of those off of those sections anyways, more in the cut <laughs> than they do in Xfinity. You know, more in the cup than Xfinity. You know, um, yeah. Uh, you know, so um, you know, I mean, the pit's clear. I don't, I don't know why you can't, why you can't speed it up a little bit. You know what? It's like they said. You know, the extended length of the pit road. Yeah. You know, it's forty-five. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and it, you know, and cars were falling down. You know, because of how fast the track is. Now I, I know what they what they try to do is they try to they try to do the pit road speed, you know, to where you know you come on and off, and hopefully get a uh, a pit stop, you know, off you know without falling too far behind. You know they try to find that ratio. You uh-huh. know, so I mean, you know, it, and, and and it's a tough, it's a, it's a slippery slope, you know. Yeah, um, and real quick before we run out of time. I just want to mention that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is making his second Xfinity Series start of this season, and that will be at Homestead. So uh, pretty cool that we'll be able to see Dale Earnhardt Jr. back in the car at Homestead this coming week. Or not coming week. Oh, yeah. This season. yeah and Sal, so your guest is here if you want to go ahead and bring her into the queue and and uh, conduct the interview. You can bring me in at the end to kind of uh, close it out. Okay. Well, our our, our guest tonight is uh, is um, Holly Clark. She's a she's a 14 year old race car driver from Colorado Springs. Um, she races in the um, uh, let's see um, in, in the SRL uh, Southwest Tour. She's a regular in the um, modified division, where she's sitting second in points behind uh, uh, Tra- Travis Thurkettle right now. Then, and then she makes um, uh, starts also in the, the Pro Late series. Um, her last race out, she had two second place finishes 
uh, I'll tell you, really, really, really good race car driver. Um, it's really, you know, I've had a chance to talk with her at the track a little bit, you know, here and there. And, uh, you know, I've uh, been wanting to get her on the, on the show, you know, to, to get a little bit more background on, on, what, on what she goes through as a driver and what it's like, you know, to race, you know, with, uh, in this series, you know, uh, this series has always been one of, one of the premier traveling series out there. So with that, we want to welcome you to the show. Welcome to the show, Holly. Hi, it's good to be on. So, first of all, let's get started with um, we you know we our our time is always shorter on the show, so we usually do two or three different segments. So, what I want to start with is how did Holly Clark get started in racing, and what was the what was it that drove you to to race? you know, a modified, you know, then of course, you know, get into the, into the pro lane. So, I mean, it all started at a very young age. I was about four and a half when um, my dad and it, his dad got together and were working on this project. My mom was watching from afar and like, you know, she wasn't getting all the details about it, but dad was really excited about something and grandpa was excited about something. They're like, Oh, we're, we're working on something for Holly. We've got a little project for her. And my mom put two and two together, you know, the only things you guys get excited about is racing. And then she gets, she's like, you, you got her a race car, didn't you? And he's like, how'd you know? And so um, little four-year-old me just, um, we went down to our local track and, you know, got all, all by myself. And we, you know, they sent me off in the car. My dad put a throttle stop on the car and, you know, he'd be on the back bumper and, like shout commands at me and like let me know like what to do and all that and then you know he pushed me off and got on the back bumper and I floored it past pushed past the throttle stop and you know dad went tumbling off the back of my quarter midget and I went through the gate through the wall and through the gate post you know turn one and two I did okay but once I got to turn four I just you know destroyed it so you know they come rushing over to me and they're like and I'm crying. They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I just wanted to cross the finish line. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, well. Um, so, I mean, we all start. And, you know, so I, nine years and until 2019 in July when I won the national championship. And uh, so that was for USAC, the points championship. And it was really cool. Um, the race that secured it was at Indy. It was the they do the little track right on the other side of Gasoline Alley, and we all get to take a lap around the big track in our quarter midgets. And there are about 600 cars total for that race. And it was really cool that I won it and took home the national championship with that. And it was funny. While we were at that race, my dad sees this ad on his Facebook page for the Madera Speedway Junior Late Model Challenge Camp. He's like, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so we go home, we, you know, get all set up, we write a, you know, resume and get some references, all that. And then, you know, we apply for it, you know, not knowing what to come of it. Because at this point, I was thinking, you know, racing right now is just family fun. I don't think I'd make a career out of this. And then we made the top 50, that thing and there was 400 applicants we made the top 50 and then we made the top 12 and so that was really cool that got me my very first experience in a late model you got to learn like everything marketing you know 
uh, tires and setup, driving, driver coaching, like spotting, all of it. It was a great experience. It was amazing. And then, you know, from there on, I was kind of hooked. I was like, you know what? I like this. You know, I got that taste of stock car racing. And I, I, it wasn't too long after that I got the opportunity to drive someone else's modified. And I was still 13 at this time and got to race that a couple times. And that was great experience. I raced that for about a year, maybe a little more than that. And then we decided to do our own modified program. And here we are for the past two years, we've been racing that car with the SRL. And yeah, so it's been really good, really fun. And then we started racing the Prolate, of course. And, you know, we've been having a really good time with that. And so started at four and a half and now I'm 17 looking for the next step. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch you out there, you know, especially in the modified, you know, for the modifieds are, you know, I, I mean, the, the pro that you have a whole body around you, you know, so, I mean, if you mm-hmm. hit some, if you bump, you know what, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, tire to tire contact, you know, somebody flipping. Yeah. Which so far we've been really fortunate in, in, in our modified series, you know, we haven't had that. Now I know back when it was Lucas Oil modified, I used to go shoot a lot of that and we used to see a lot of wrecks like that. But it seems like oh, the, yeah. the, the guys in, in this modified series, they're a lot more, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like the give and take is a lot more. Everybody's thinking, you know, about, hey, you know, we want to go home at the end of the night and think with the car in one piece. Yeah. But that doesn't say that the racing is still is still top notch, you know what? And especially, you know, when you're up there, you know, racing against, um, you know, uh, you know, third kettle, you know, and, and um, you know, and all the rest of the guys. Because I'll tell you one thing, Kevin – Steven, Jimmy Sloan, William, Travis, all those guys, even when Eddie comes out, they, they don't they don't give you no they don't cut you no slack because no. you know, it's it's like the way we look at it. You know what? The the car doesn't know who's driving it. It doesn't know if it's a female or if or if it's a male. You know, the car is yeah. whoever's behind the wheel, that's the driver, you know, and, and that's you know, that's how we always conduct our interviews, you know, like when we get the you know, the male and the female, you know, we always say, you know what, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like doing comparisons, you know, between, you know, the female drivers out there because the car doesn't know who's behind the wheel of it. And the way mm-hmm. you drive that modified, it, it's, it's, it's really pretty amazing. You know what? And I mean, you've had, you know, you had two uh, second place finishes this season, you know, sitting second in points behind Travis third kettle, you know, and um, what, what's it like racing with Travis and, you know, Steven and Kevin, I mean, Kevin is a, Kevin, I think Travis, Travis has been around for, for ages. He's mm-hmm. been around for, I mean, I think Travis is probably one of the cleanest drivers you'll ever get out there, but oh, yeah. you know, I, I know, I know some of the other ones are a little bit more, they're a little more rough on the edges. Yeah. I mean, with both the divisions, I, I agree. Like there's, it's relatively clean racing, you know, more or less. Sometimes we've had some races where it's not that great. And, um, you know, you mentioned how, like, the late model, you have, you know, more body around you. Um, and I do agree with that. Like, there's no wheel-to-wheel contact. But what's nice about the modified is there's a bumper. So, I mean, with the late model, you touch something and you're replacing half the body. But, you know, I love the modified, like, for that. I mean, I don't like using the bumper. But, you know, it's a little a little safety thing, but I mean, racing those guys, I, everyone in the modified division, I love them. They're so nice. You know, they're great. Um, I love racing them. They're tough. They're tough. 
both divisions, all the races, you know, they're going to race you hard, but for the most part, they'll, they'll race you pretty clean. And I love that, you know, it's, you know, we can bump and rub a little bit, but there's no real wrecking, you know, for most of the time. It's, it's good, hard, competitive racing. And, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a lot of the guys, you know, they're super nice to be around and, you know, Travis, you know, he's won every race this year, but, you know, for me, it's like, I don't even really mind losing to him because he's so nice. He's so fun. And, you know, those guys are just they're great, you know. So how hard is it to do double duty, you know, especially on a, on a bigger track like Gurndale, Kern, you know, as well now, you know, actually it's going to be the first time to modify the race in Stockton. Um, are you planning on doing a double duty this, this, uh, this weekend? Um, so I'm not doing double duty at Stockton because um, we've watched some of the previous races and, you know, they're a little sketchy for the pro late. Um, so we're just doing the one class because, you know, we've never been there before. And, you know, just trying it out, just dipping our toes in the water. And, I mean, other times, you know, racing double duty, it's not too bad. A lot of the times, there's the super lit model race in between. There was one time at Irwindale wasn't, and I had to run after parking my car like all the way up the hill, up to the back, back uh, in my helmet and all that, and hurriedly strapped into my car and hope everything was right and then just get out there. But, I mean, when you're tired racing, you, it's no such thing. You're not really thinking about that. Um, you don't notice how worn out you are until after you get out of the car. And even you have to give it a couple hours because the adrenaline is just, you know, you have to wait for that to come down because, I mean, you're just at such a high and then it takes a while to come back down. And because of the adrenaline and everything that's going on around you, you don't have time to think about the sensations you're getting in your body. You're just thinking about getting better the next lap or catching the car in front of you or um, how to not wreck when you're sitting in the middle of three wide, you know? So you're not thinking about much else, you know? So I'm, I find it's not too bad. And um, it also helps that I'm young. So um, it's easier for me to recover from that. So you, you have all this, you're telling us about racing, you know what? And, it, and, it's, and it's really neat, you know, to hear it all. Now, how do you find a balance between keeping all the racing stuff in perspective and also going to school and getting good grades and keeping all that in per- into perspective? You know, you know, we get a lot of younger drivers, and that's one thing I always ask them, you know, is how do you find the time, you know, between racing? You know, I mean, you know, I like you're just telling us right now, you know, what it takes. And then, you know, then also to go to school and get, and get the grade that you get. Yeah, so my parents have always told me, you know, school comes first. If I don't have good grades, we won't race. But I've, I find, you know, with school, it's always it's never really been an issue missing school. I just do, like, a prearranged absence stuff. And what's cool is because I'm in Colorado, Colorado Springs specifically, is um, we have the Olympic Training Center. So we have, like, a lot of figure skaters and things like that. So they just put me in with, like, the elite athlete category. And the only time it was ever a little bit of an issue was, like, my freshman year of high school when, you know, my dean was, like, there were all these requirements, like, you had to be in the top 
10% of your age group. And we were kind of like, well, I race adult men, so I'm in the top 1% of my age group. <laughs> so um, that was, I um, mean, a little difficult, but it was, we worked it out and it's fine. I usually find time to work on homework, doing their, like going to the races and back and things like that. And I mean, it's not too bad. I can usually get things ahead of time or they're online or, you know, things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's hard, but I've been doing it all my life. I mean, that, that's just what I know. So, I mean, I can't even see it, see myself doing it any other way, going to school every day and not missing it. So it's, that's just how I've, I've lived. Wow. That is awesome. And you know, Holly, with that, um, we, I got the, the show host Sharon. I know she has a couple of questions. And I think mm-hmm. she's probably going to end up, end up, end up closing out this um, this segment. But with that, you know what? Uh, like I said, you know what? We're going to have to definitely get you back on, you know, to keep you know keep the conversation going. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sharon mm-hmm. right now. Hi, Holly. It's really good to have you here tonight. Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the interview that you've had with Sal and getting to know you a little bit. And... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to highlight the people behind the scenes that are helping you with your uh, race team, obviously your dad and your grandfather. Uh, but this is the time of the night that uh, I can give you some time to shout out. Anybody else that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, of course. So like you mentioned, my dad, who like crew chiefs my whole car, like, he drives us all the way to California and back, you know, sets it up. He I mean, I've never even really seen him take a break. I mean, he's, he works day and night for this and all that. My grandfather helps fund this. And, you know, my mom is always there from Rural Support. She keeps us organized. I mean, we would be a mess without her. So it, it's great to have her. And then our family business, Rocky Mountain Cycle Plaza, um, they really are big, like, you know, fund for this. And we wouldn't be able to do it without that. Uh, Pink Carburetors has helped us out, and, I mean, they've given us great equipment that has really improved our performance on track. And I also want to thank, you know, AFCO, Longacre, and Swift Springs. They've also, you know, provided us, helped helped to provide us with great equipment to put on our car. And, um, you know, the Longacre gauges, you, you can see from a mile away the glowing blue lights on my dash. I mean, they're good. They're great for those night races, and they're, you know, fantastic, great products. And then... Olson Plumbing and Heating Company as well for just their support financially and, you know, moral support as well. They're great people to be around. Well, once again, Holly, uh, congratulations on a great season so far this year and uh, two series and uh, also uh, for taking some time out to be on the show here tonight. Like Sal said, we want to have you come back, so we hope we can work that out somewhere down the road here. And uh, are you on social media? I am on social media. So um, my old Instagram account is hacked. So now it's Holly Clark underscore racing on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook. If you search up Holly Clark racing, it'll be the first account that comes up, although it's just Holly Clark as the name. And I'm also on Twitter a little less actively. It's uh, capital H, Holly, capital C, and then underscore racing. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for letting us know, and we hope uh, you get some new followers to uh, follow along with what's happening with your racing career and the rest of your season. 
So stay in touch with us, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Okay, right, thank, thank you. you. All right, that is Holly Clark. She's the driver of the number 17 in the SRL Pro Late Model Series as well as the Modified Series for her dad's uh, Steve Clark Racing. Uh, so uh, a lot of fun talking with Holly Clark here, Sal. And uh, unfortunately, we do have to move on because we still have the Cup Series race that we have to uh, review here. Uh, they were racing out at Atlanta Motor Speedway this past weekend. And uh, it was a rain-shortened event, but, uh, man, they put on some good racing. Uh, I think the rain, the pending rain, made the race that much more exciting for the Quaker State 400 available at Walmart. William Byron was the winner at the age of 25, driving the number 24, Exalta Chevrolet for Rehendrick Motorsports. Rudy Fugel on top of the pit box this weekend. It was the eighth victory in 199 Cup Series races for William Byron, his fourth victory and 11th top 10 finish of the 20. I think he's the only driver with four victories in the Cup Series. It's also the second victory and third top 10 finish in nine races at Atlanta. Daniel Suarez finished second. He sure wanted that race to keep going, uh, but it had to end because of the rain. He posted his fourth top ten finish in ten races at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and it is his sixth top ten finish this year. A.J. Allmendinger finished in third, posting his fourth top ten finish in 15 races at Atlanta, and Noah Gregson was the highest finishing rookie. He finished in 33rd place. Now, uh, for the race rundown here uh, for the uh, Cup Series, um, Again, it was a rain-shortened event, uh, but neither an early spin nor the damage to his number 24 Chevrolet could prevent William Byron from winning Saturday night's rain-shortened Quaker State 400 at Atlanta. William Byron uh, won that race, uh, although it was cut short on lap 185 of the scheduled 260 because of that rain. Uh, again, he's the only driver with four wins this year and his second Atlanta win and his eighth career victory. Byron had an eventful evening, and that now goes down as a comeback after suffering a penalty, a spin, and falling a lap down early in the race. Daniel Suarez finished second, followed by A.J. Allmendinger, Michael McDowell, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, J.J. Yaley, Justin Haley, Ryan Blaney, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, rounds out your top 10. The pole winner, Eric Almarola, led 46 laps and finished 18th. Stage 1 was won by Ryan Blaney. Stage 2 by Brad Kozlowski. There were 18 lead changes among 12 drivers and 7 cautions for 43 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 118.475 miles per hour. Your thoughts about the top 10 finishers uh, in the Quaker State 400? Yeah, I'll tell you, for William Byron went through to get that win, even though it was rain-shortened. You know what? <laughs> Kyle Busch is eating a lot of crow right now. Because yes. 
a couple months ago, he was just ripping on William Byron and the racer that he was, the racer that he is, and, and, and everything, you know what, and, and you know, now he's leading the series with four wins, but not only that, but just all the, all everything that happened to him on Sunday, you know, for him to get the win, you know, that, I mean, basically solidifies him, you know, as, as a, as, you know, as a, as a contender. And I think one of the reasons Kyle's so upset too is because Rudy Fugel was his crew chief for a long time with, with, when he was running the truck series, he was actually, that was Noah Gregson's, uh, crew chief when Noah was running with, uh, with Cowboys Motorsports. And then, um, uh, and then last year they made the transition when Rudy left Cowboys Motorsports and came over here to, uh, over here to Hendrick Motorsports and ended up with William Byron and, and, uh, you know, now look at what he's done with, uh, you know, with William Byron, you know, but I uh, mean, congratulations on the win. Range short doesn't matter. <clears throat> Great finish by Daniel Swartz, you know, finishing second. Um, Track house racing is just really making their, they're really they making are. a lot of noise this year. They are making a lot of noise this year. You know, um, AJ Almendinger with the third place finish. Mike McDowell, gosh, you know, another top five. Kyle Bush right in there, you know, still uh, keeping RCR strong. Brad Keselowski with the sixth place finish, you know, gosh, you know, what, what a difference a year has made with, with, uh, with them Keselowski and Ricky Stenhouse finally breaking that, the, uh, the Daytona 500 win slump, you know, getting a, a top 10, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, top 10 finish. Um, but, um, you know, all in all, you know what, uh, you know, once again, you know, Hendrick is flexing their, their muscle, you know, yes, and, uh, they are. you know, grabbing those wins. A lot of people wins and, would you know, be affording victory lane, but uh, William Byron uh, proved that wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, like I said, you know, Daniel Swords, you know, getting that second place finish. Um, In the top uh, five, the only forward was Michael McDowell. Yeah, he was. Okay, uh, there were 34 cars uh, running at the end of this race. Uh, only 27 of those cars uh, finished all 185 laps. The rest of them were uh, finished with a lap or more down. Uh, a couple of cars had uh, were out early because of DVP, the damage vehicle policy. Austin Hill driving the number 62 out on lap 92 uh, due to the damage vehicle policy. And uh, Kyle Larson had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 111. And Ross Chastain uh, also out on lap 120 because of the DVP, uh, the damage vehicle policy. So the race did end under caution because of the rain. And uh, I know a lot of fans were upset that the the race didn't start earlier, so we couldn't see more of the race. But I think NASCAR made the right call. Yeah, and I, I think it was kind of neat there showing, you know, the fans, you know, that were over there, you know, getting, uh, you know, autographs. And there's a few, you know, that brought their watermelons, you know, to have <laughs> uh, to have them sign them. But, you know, I guess those are the fans that don't realize that the watermelon isn't like a die cast or a, or a, Program right. you know, that can last a long time, you know. I mean, the watermelon, you know, you're eventually you're going to either eat it or, or unless they cut that piece of the watermelon off and 
go and shellack it. it. <laughs> you know, and save it, but, you know, it's kind of funny to see um, Chastain, you know, signing watermelons, you know. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the points report before we run out of time, Tal. All right, let me get... Trying to stay cool here. We're having a, a minor heat wave in I didn't get a chance to turn the AC on. I should have. Okay, so our points is William Byron is still leading the points with, like you said, with the four race wins, seven stage wins, and 22 playoff points. Um, second, Smart Truex Jr. He has two race wins. Um, right on the heels of William Byron is Kyle Busch with his three race wins. Um, fourth is Christopher Bell with his one race win. Fifth is uh, Ross Chastain, who has a race win. Sixth is Denny Hamlin with the race win. Seventh is Ryan Blaney with the race win. And eighth is Kyle Larson with two race wins. And then from there, then we go down to Kevin Harvick, who I know was the was the one of the favorites to win this race. You know, everybody really wanted him to win it. You know, after you know, uh, you know, with, with, especially with the pre-race with Richard Childress, you know, making the laps and yeah, in his um. You know, in his old number 29 car, you know, that he won the race in after Del Hart had died at uh, Daytona. And then uh, 10th was uh, Joey Logano. 11th, was, 11th position is Chris Buescher. Brad Keselowski still in there at 12th. Tyler Reddick, 13th. Ricky Stenhouse, 14th. Daniel Suarez uh, and Michael McDowell actually are tied for, for no, Daniel Suarez and Michael McDowell are 15 to 16. Bubba Wallace dropped out. He's at 404. Mm-hmm. So Bubba Wallace is out of the playoffs right now, and um, uh, he's three points so out. Powell is in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really amazing uh, the, how dominant William Byron has been this season. Not only is he leading with the four race wins, but he has seven stage wins. Uh, two more than the next driver, who is Ross Chastain, who has the five race wins, but only one of uh, the five stage wins with only one race win. So uh, really, really kind of uh, amazing to watch these stage points and how they race wins and how they all play out as main playoff points. But it will make a difference at the end. Oh yeah, it it always has, you know what, and and, uh, and it's just going to be, uh, it's. I mean, you know, Kyle Busch and William Byron up there with with seventeen and twenty two. You know, they're they're gonna they're gonna see probably the first two rounds. You know, they're gonna skate. I'm not saying they're gonna skate through them. You know, but um, you know, depending on how the rest of it plays off. You know, I mean, you know, they're they're pretty well set. You know, to get into the you know to get past the first two rounds. Um, but you know, I, uh, anything can happen. Yeah, you're right. Anything can happen. We've still got some racing to do. Uh, you're going to be at the SRL races this week. Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, still working out. I'm getting messages right now on how I'm going to get what I'm going to do. Usually I fly, but I think I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive up there. But it's going to be like 109 for the race and. I'm really not looking forward to it. 
Yeah, that sounds good. A hot day. Make sure you hydrate really well, Sal. So. Oh, I, you know, I start hydrating, like, in January for the season. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Sandy going to go along? No, nah, there's no way. She, she she hardly goes anymore. But 109-degree weather, there is no way. She, she says, I am not. Not going to subject she, yourself to that. She goes, don't even think about it. She goes, don't even entertain the thought. She goes, um, yeah, she's not going to. She's done a couple races where she's going to be where it's hot, but she goes, this one is not. Well, keep in mind, my, my brother and I are going back out to Las Vegas this fall. So I hope to see you out there this fall again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm oh. sure I'll be out there. I, I'm, I'm, I might even. I might even see about getting a. Uh, photo credential and just staying out there for the for the whole for the whole would weekend. Be great. Yeah. That would be great. Hopefully we won't run into the Utah police on our way there this time. That's what caused us to be late last time. That we got caught up in a power st- uh, uh, nail strip. They were trying to catch somebody who stole a car, and I guess our car looked just like that car, and uh, they nailed us. And that's what delayed us getting to the racetrack. But wow. uh, hopefully that won't happen again. Well, at least you got to, hopefully you got new tires out of the deal. They did. They bought the tire. Only one tire went flat. They bought the tire, okay. changed it and everything. So that was a, that worked out okay. But it did delay us. Yeah. Okay, Well, you've got to get a police um, scanner. Gotta get a police <laughs> there scanner. There you go. Yeah, that's what we need. Um, but have fun at the SRL races this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, you guys have uh, fun. Have a nice weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, goodbye. Okay, good night, Sal. We are at the top of the hour. That means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and the Fan for Racing crew are all here. <laughs> So I'm going to start bringing them into the queue. And uh, let's see. Let's start with Andy. Andy, welcome to the show. Hello, Sharon. How are you doing on this evening? I'm doing very well this evening. Uh, we've had uh, quite the discussion already uh, on some of the hot topics already. I've gotten Sal's take. Uh, but I know you guys have some takes on some of these hot topics as well. So uh, let's go to Jay Huseman next. Welcome to the show, Jay. Oh, thank you, Sharon. It's already been an entertaining uh, couple of minutes that I've been on hold because I forgot you had a you were driving a wanted car in Utah. I'd forgotten that story, so I got to hear that again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What is that?" Because I saw this thing, you know, moving on the uh, highway, and uh, I had the police chasing the car that was stolen on the left side of me. And when I tried to pull over, there was a line of police cars on the on the shoulder, so I had nowhere to go. The only place I had to go was over the nail strip, and uh, I thought we were pretty fortunate to just have the one tire that went down. <laughs> well, you're safe now. It was it makes quite the story. I'll tell you that. It, it does indeed. And uh, we also have Mike Rizzo here tonight. Welcome to the show, Mike. 
Good evening, everybody. I am dry. I am well-rested, and the reason is because the plans that I was trying to put together with Jay and Andy to go to the race yesterday, I kind of fell through, and I don't really regret it having seen what all went down. (laughs) Okay. Uh, With that, Mike, why don't we have you do our first hot topic here? Well, this will be a little bit self-serving, but there was a lot of discussion about NASCAR moving a few races, Atlanta and then the Nashville race a couple weeks ago in particular, to be Sunday evening races. And the big reason that they did this is because last year it was extremely hot, the the late June and middle of July respectively for those two races. And the idea was to make it a little bit more comfortable for fans who would attend the race. So having seen those two races take place so far this year, I'm wondering what everyone's thoughts on it is. Okay, Andy, what are your thoughts? I think it was a good decision, truthfully. Um, you know, I think that you have to consider whether this time of year, it's it's in the middle of the summer now, um, you know, sitting in the grandstands in the heat of the day isn't the funnest thing to do, especially when it's 95 degrees and really hot and humid. So um, I think that when you look at Nashville and Atlanta, obviously, you know, very hot this time of year. Um, as is most places in the country, but specifically those areas can get pretty pretty brutal, I think. So good decision ultimately to move them to night races. You know, the Nashville race w- was um, obviously went off without a hitch. Um, you know, certainly Atlanta, disappointing to see that it was rain-shortened, but I, I think that um, it, it was totally fine as a night race. It, it appeared to be uh, a bigger crowd. I think Mike might have mentioned that. Um, in, in the notes for the, this particular hot topic. So um, really don't see it as a bad thing. I think that it may just take some getting used to for some people apparently that the race took place on a Sunday night, but whether it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I, I don't care. I mean, you know, I do think that from a comfort standpoint for those that did attend the event, I think it was much better. So good decision overall. Um, I think that, You know, yes, it's disappointing, certainly, to see it rain-shortened, but, you know, rain can come at any time, whether the race starts at 1 in the afternoon or 9 p.m., you know, thunderstorms and rain can move through at any given time. So just unfortunate circumstances that the race was rain-shortened, but, you know, that's something that can't always be controlled. So ultimately not a bad decision. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot of things to factor in when you talk about that. I know uh, this time of year we don't you're not competing against football. I know that's one of the things that gets looked at. But in terms of just the weather perspective, I think uh, Andy already said it and Mike's highlighted it. The temperature-wise, I think, was. And there was good racing with that transition from day to night um, that you got to deal with. And especially with Atlanta, the way that track – Working it in under the new reconfiguration, I saw some stuff of Kyle Bush's opinions of back two years ago when they did it versus now. The racing is good, so I think it was, a, like a, both of them have said, a, a much more enjoyable race for the fans that are there at the track. Uh, Andy mentioned it, you know, the only issue there is then you're going to get the complaint of have to go to work Monday. You know, they can't uh, get back home and still go to work Monday necessarily. But as far as the rain, you know, that's unfortunate. And that was a little bit of why I uh, hesitated on taking Mike up and running over there to that tr- race with him um, as we had had 
tons of rain in the last three days, and I assumed it was moving that direction. So, uh, unfortunate. I've been in rain, been at racetracks where you get the rain delay and possible a shortened race, um, but there's nothing NASCAR can do about that. There really isn't. Yeah, I agree with everything that you guys said. I think that uh, NASCAR made the right call in in, uh, in calling the race and declaring uh, William Byron as the winner. Uh, William Byron really was the class of the field. He raced his, he had to overcome a penalty, he had to overcome several different things in order to be up there at the end and contending for that win. And, uh, some of those things played into his favor, but, um, I thought, uh, I thought the right guy won that race. Um, uh, and, uh, it was good to see. Uh, that happened. I thought the rain also, uh, as you guys have mentioned, I thought the rain made the race more exciting to watch. There was a sense of urgency for all of the drivers to get out front and be as close to the front as they could possibly be for the end of this race. Uh, they knew the rain was coming. They knew that what was going to happen, and uh, they were trying to position themselves for that uh for that eventual rain coming. Um, There's been a lot of talk about why didn't NASCAR start the race earlier if they knew there was rain coming. There's a lot of logistics that go into that. Once you publish uh, a race start, uh, it's really hard to get the word out to everybody, race fans included, uh, that that race is going to start earlier unless you can do it the day before. And then you're kind of at the mercy of the weather report as to whether or not you're doing the right thing by starting the race early. Um, NASCAR's in a no-win situation when it comes to this type of a situation. Um, they try to do the best they can with the information that they have at hand, uh, and the weather is very unpredictable. Um, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. And NASCAR has to figure it out uh, what's going to be the best for the racing situation. And I think they did what was actually fair. Uh, one of the things that I also um, – I, I know that fans don't want to be out in that hot, hot weather uh, and the humidity of Atlanta. So I think having the later start is the smart thing to do. But uh, the other part of that is that um, – uh, there's always the risk of rain coming. So at night, especially in the, those southern states like Georgia and and um, Florida where it rains nearly every day at some point of the day. So it's a no-win situation for NASCAR. Oh, I know what I was going to say. One of the things that I think also factored into their decision to go ahead and call it is that you had – uh, different pit strategies that were playing out there, and some of these guys were staying out uh, and not having pitted, and the longer they were racing or just driving those pace laps around the track, uh, the the more gas that was being used and no opportunity to pit for gas. So I think that played into their decision as well. And... Um, uh, I do think that NASCAR made the right call having the late race, and I think they made the right call with uh, calling it when they did. Mike, what are your thoughts? 
I've told this story before a few times on the show, but I grew up on the east coast of Florida. Daytona was my local track when I was growing up. And I went to many, many a summer Daytona race in the middle of July before they put the lights in at that racetrack. And let me tell you what, I was a kid at the time, so I didn't necessarily appreciate it as much as maybe I would have as a grown-up. And I certainly didn't have a choice in the matter because mom and dad said, we're going to the race this weekend, so we're going to the race this weekend. It doesn't matter how hot it it is. And Mike's going to be up there sweating and crying his eyes out because it was brutally hot. So I can absolutely sympathize with the fans in Atlanta last year who decided to not go to the race because of the heat that was there. Um, I don't have any numbers for – how, uh, what capacity or what, you know, what percentage of capacity they were at the racetrack this, uh, this past race last night versus last year. I will say subjectively, just what I saw on TV, it looked like there were more fans in attendance. This race was not sold out. They didn't publicize that it was sold out. And when I looked at potentially buying tickets on Friday, there were still a decent number of tickets available, but it definitely wasn't wide open like it looked like it was last year. So I think moving it to the evening did help at least a little bit in terms of getting fans to turn out to the racetrack and watch the race in person. Whether that matters – so we got more people to show up to the racetrack, but the trade-off, the potential trade-off is were there more or fewer eyes watching it on TV? And we won't know that number for maybe a couple of days until they release the TV ratings from there. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, The difficult thing, like Andy mentioned, was people having to go to work on Monday. For people in, in a line of work like me and Andy, weekends, holidays, whatever, those don't really matter because they're all kind of relative to us. You know, we can, we can just as easily work on a Saturday as we can on a Tuesday uh, just by, by virtue of the job that we have and the way that's scheduled, but that's not the way it is for a lot of people. Most people do work that Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, or some similar schedule to that. So it is an important thing about when they can get to bed on Sunday evening and how much alcohol they can drink and you know, all those factors that go into being able to, to be a grown up and show up to work on time and, and ready to work on Monday morning, that does play into somebody's decision about whether they can even watch a race on TV, much less travel to go to one in person. So it is a bit of a trade off from there. The Sunday night races, We'll have to see whether it's worth it from a rating standpoint. I would say as a fan, last year I was not super interested in going to that race in the middle of July during the day for the same reason that apparently a lot of other people weren't because it was so incredibly hot. This year I was interested in going. It didn't end up working out. I would have liked to go, and maybe I'll try again next year so long as it's an evening race because it's a little bit more palatable from a, from a weather and comfort standpoint. And believe it or not, a little self-serving here, I did write an article on this subject on, uh, on Fan for Racing last year regarding some of the things that Atlanta could do in order to improve fan attendance at the race, and one of the suggestions that I came up with was move it to the night. So, really, I think I should take credit for those whole ideas, really what it sounds like. <laughs> okay. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously NASCAR read that article, Mike. And they, they completely agreed, and I think you'll find all of their decision-making was 100% based off that. So congratulations to you. It, you're, you're a genius. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, though, from, from the work thing, that's kind of what did it in for me. Like, with my job, I, I'm, on, I'm on reserve, which basically means I'm on call. And I went on call at midnight 
last night, and so that meant that I couldn't really fly home today. So that's what kind of did it in for me. If the race had been earlier in the day, I probably could have done it. Too bad because it is. it did look like a really good race. It was a good race. Um, so like Mike said, maybe we can make it happen next year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do think that the, the evening races on Sundays, um, was a, a good decision. And what I've really, you know, kind of enjoyed seeing from NASCAR the past couple of three years is they're not afraid to try something different from the norm, you know? And, um, I really, I think, you know, maybe you, you might start to see this become more of a thing at least during the summer months. And it doesn't necessarily make sense every week, but you know, Nashville and certainly Atlanta, it seemed to make sense, and I think it was a good decision. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, in my my experience with it with the heat uh, wasn't uh, one of the southern ones. It was at mid middle of the state. It was Indianapolis. I mean, they had to do the same thing. They couldn't keep that date and keep it at the time when it was. Uh, I don't know if we hit 100 that day, but it sure felt like it. So NASCAR's doing whatever they can to try and accommodate. They're hearing the fans. They're listening to them um, when there's a valid complaint or issue. Um, but then, like I said, on the reverse side, you run into the issue of running late into Sunday night and people that can't have to go to work on Monday. So um, they got to find that balance. But I think this one was a good decision, especially, like I said, I feel like maybe – the race at Atlanta um, increased. Obviously, Sharon, you said that uh, the weather coming, the, the teams know it. Uh, I listened to an interview on SiriusXM with uh, William Byron's crew chief, uh, Rudy Fugel, and he talked about that. They had made their decision uh, to pit a little bit earlier and be able to stay out then when it hit. I mean, they, they had calculated – the the storm was moving at 20 miles per hour or what time it should get there and, you know, start seeing the edge of the rain. So these teams have all that same information that NASCAR is making their decision based off of. <coughs> Excuse me. I think it really added to not just the, uh, the intensity you talked about, Sharon, but the strategy. And William Byron's in a position of if they make the wrong call, they're not out anything. They, get, they had three wins already. The playoff points they've accumulated – they can make those calls. That's why it's important winning early in the season and building up those playoff points. So all of that is different for each team. I know when they talked about Brad Keselowski, uh, he did, he couldn't afford to take that chance and really get hung out because if he doesn't get a win, he's got to try and get in on points. So they had a different uh, situation they were dealing with. So I thought it really added all together. Not that I ever want to see any race end under rain, but it did add some different elements to it. Yeah, I agree. I thought uh, uh, I think you guys have hit on all the major points, so I don't really have anything to add here. Uh, so, Mike, I'll let you close it out. Well, with regard to the rain, it, yes, historically, the later in the afternoon you run, the, the more likely it is you're going to get put in a box by rain. And that's exactly what happened to NASCAR this past weekend in uh, Atlanta. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to rain in the late afternoon. In fact, they couldn't have run that Chicago race a minute earlier in the day because rain from basically sunrise until the green flag of the, the Chicago street race. So you can't win them all. Yes, obviously, from a climactic standpoint, historically speaking, it does tend to, to skew towards the late afternoon into the evening for rain in the southeast this time of year. It is what it is. You run the risk of 
either killing your attendance by trying to run the race during the day or potentially killing your attendance by, by people staying away because of the rain. You, you, you can only do so much winning here. Um, we're not all William Byron who can apparently win all the time. Um, you can only win so many times out here. So you're either going to win against the weather, you're going to win against the heat, but you might not win all of them. I think NASCAR made the right call here. I don't think that this needs to be – remember, you know, 10 years ago, it seemed like every race moved to a Saturday night uh, race, and every track was putting in lights, and the Cup Series was running. It seemed like the Cup Series was running as many races on Saturday nights as they were – on Sunday afternoons, which is the traditional time for a NASCAR Cup Series race. I don't think we need to move in that direction. If the circumstances require it, i.e. Atlanta, Daytona, uh, it's not an option at Indianapolis because there's no lights, but Nashville, things like that, where fan comfort, fan safety for that matter, I mean, it's, it's legitimately hot enough that somebody can get injured because of that heat this time of year in this part of the country. So fan comfort, fan safety, if that's what pushes a later start time, great. But I don't think this needs to be a fad that they need to go and, and move every race to Sunday night like they did 10 years ago. I don't think we need to go down that road. But it is a welcome change, and I, I like what they're doing, trying to keep fan comfort and safety in account when they're scheduling these races. All right, Andy, what's our next hot topic going to be? Now, this one was a pretty interesting one uh, from the ARCA race. Venturini Motorsports teammates Dean Thompson and uh, Sean Hingarani got together uh, in what appeared to be an intentional wreck on uh, the last lap of the race. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I always get accused of being the positive guy and being uh, on the side of the what if, but no, uh, Sean Hingrani uh, clearly waited and did not or took out his teammate, made sure he didn't win it. Um, we'll just say that NASCAR has opted to suspend him. The only issue I have here is the suspension because, again, it was his own teammate for that matter, I understand, of, but he didn't right hook him, especially at high speeds. I think that is one where I think they need to leave it up to the team, which I'm sure the team itself is going to take some action and has some issues with with how it went down. But that was one where I realized it wasn't racing, uh, clean racing, but there wasn't also any major damage. I mean, he just kind of drifted up and drove him off the track. Um, so I don't know that I like the suspension, but NASCAR is trying to say, hey, we don't want to see that at all um, when it comes to that of, you know, we like to use the term using your car as a weapon. Uh, like I said, I, it wasn't a, a, a hard hook or anything or a drill dimmer or anything. He just drove him up and off the track. And unfortunate for Dean Thomas, he was uh, second place at the time. I don't know that he was going to win it anyway, but was in contention and it really ruined a good day for him. Um, and like I said, I think the team was going to certainly take issue with it regardless I think NASCAR could have let them handle it amongst themselves. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? It's the time of the evening. It's my favorite time. It's the time I get to disagree with Jay. I do not think that teammates or any sort of team dynamic should come into play one way or the other, not even a little bit when it comes to penalty decisions. It's a one competitor decides he's going to, to do something that negatively affects another competitor, especially if it's dangerous, it shouldn't matter if they are teammates or not. 
uh, the, the, this isn't NASCAR, this is ARCA, but they, yes, NASCAR owns ARCA, but ARCA kind of operates independently. But either way, uh, ARCA has stepped in and said, no, this is not acceptable. We need to suspend you. And I agree with that. And I don't think it should be, oh, well, they were teammates. We're going to handle it among the team. Because when you start doing that, now you start having some different penalty structures. So Venturini Motorsports might have a different penalty structure than Rev Racing. Venturini might not care. Okay, cool, you wrecked your teammate, whatever. Maybe don't do that again next time and there's no repercussions. Versus Rev Racing might say, no, man, we're sitting you for five races for that. Um, so that's, yes, the team still has the ability to, if Arca says you're, you're down for one race, if the team wants to sit them for five, I guess the team can do that. But at the very least, from the sanctioning body standpoint, there's consistency there, and I think that that is important. As far as what the penalty is, I understand that it was low speed. I understand that it wasn't super dangerous, but at the same time, the precedent here was the Matt Kenseth precedent. Matt Kenseth hung around running slow laps until Joey Logano came by and he took him out. Yes, he put Logano in the wall versus putting him into a sand trap, but either way, it was that deliberate, intentionally running slow, waiting for your target to come by and then attacking. And the precedent there was Matt Kenseth was suspended two races. I think Sean Higurati got away with one here, only being suspended one race. And from a consistency standpoint, again, this is ARCA, not NASCAR. So maybe they have a little bit different penalty structure and rule book. But this could have easily, maybe should have been a two-race suspension. Okay. Actually, there is a consistency problem uh, because earlier this year there was a – uh, battle be- between Todd Souza and I think it was Tyler Reif. It might have been Tanner Reif, but uh, there were no suspensions in that case, and there probably should have been. Uh, and I'd like to understand what the difference was and why they didn't penalize in that situation and did penalize in this situation. Um, I've looked at the the video a few times. I know Sean Hingarani uh, slowed down and waited for uh, Dean Thompson, who was running second at the time, uh, to to uh, take his make his move. But if you and and this is kind of a historically these two have kind of tangled before, uh, but and and that is egregious on Sean Hingarani's part. But if you watch the video of when they actually hit each other, uh, what I saw is Dean Thompson uh, making a turn into the number 15. Dean Thompson's the number 55 car. Uh, Sean Hingarani is the 15. And it's the 55 car that makes the turn into the 15 first. Sean Hingarani then pushes back, and that's when he pushes him off of the uh, road course. So I really, you know, looking at the video, it makes me think that maybe there should have been two penalties uh, put out there um, for both Dean Thompson and Sean Hingarani. Uh, and I, I do think that uh, they've had, uh, they've tangled before. This is not the first time that the teammates have tangled with each other. Uh, I do feel like maybe Venturini uh, could be could have been handling this on their own within the team, knowing that they've kind of had this uh, rivalry building up. Uh, 
<clears throat> but apparently there was no consequence for their actions, and that's why I think ARCA felt that they needed to step in. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to know what the difference is between the Hingarani and um, uh, Dean Thompson situation versus the uh, Rife and Sousa situation that happened earlier this season. Uh, that was a fatal taking somebody, not a fatal, but a serious taking someone out of the race uh, between those two as well. And uh, there should have been a penalty then and was not. And yet there was a penalty here. So uh, I, I need to know what the difference is. I do think that there is a consistency issue there. And um, uh, if somebody can explain the difference to me, I'd be open to hearing it. Andy. Sharon, did you want to go ahead and uh, do the 1030 oh, uh, routine? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, at this time of the night, I do make a special announcement to all of our first-time listeners. We go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but we're going to continue our conversation, and that part of the conversation past that 10.30 mark is still recorded, even though we go off the air. That part of the conversation will be available on our podcast, and I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know when that podcast is available. And then at that time or at any conven your convenience, you can go to the two-hour mark on the player at fanforacing.com or any of the other avenues that uh, play our podcast. And just fast forward to that two-hour mark to listen to the rest of the conversation. Again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know how they can hear the rest of the conversation when we go off air kind of mid-sentence here. So with that, Andy, your thoughts. Yeah, this was a, a, a tough scenario. I haven't seen anyone that defended the move. And, and to be fair, I didn't actually see what transpired between the two earlier in the event. Um, obviously, there, there must have been some contact or some reason that precipitated, you know, the anger on, on Sean Hingarani's part. Um, but, I mean, that's not the way to do it, you know. And, and we've certainly seen instances in the past of um, somebody taking out another driver that, that wasn't their teammate, and that's not okay either. But to, to blatantly wait and, and take out a teammate who was running in the top five and, and wreck both vehicles and get stuck in the sand and, and thereby hindering both finishes is really just a bad look. And really, you know, it, it, it comes from apparently somebody that has no respect for their team or the equipment that they're racing in. You know, I mean, I realize a lot of these kids are pay drivers in the ARCA series, you know, and, and maybe they need to be taught a lesson or something. But from what I saw, if I were Billy Venturini, I'd be really upset and probably fire somebody for pulling a stunt like that because what what Sean did was completely uncalled for. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. And, you know, I don't know what Dean did earlier in the race, you know, so it's hard for me to get that side of it. But from from just analyzing the, the end incident, at, you know, at the end of the race, I, I felt for Dean Thompson, he was running well, I think, second or third when he got taken out. So um, I, I, I think it was ultimately the right decision – on the sanctioning body's part to, to suspend the driver. Um, I think a lesson needs to be taught. You know, the, some of these guys just have zero respect for the equipment in, in, in their other competitors and, and maybe sitting a race out will, will give him, you know, some perspective to be a better person moving forward. 
but certainly what he did, it, it really was a bad look. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't, it's not just us that were, that, you know, talking about it now that we're, you know, admonishing what he did. It was the on-air personalities, you know, other drivers, competitors, team owners, like pretty much everybody within the industry noted that it was a really bad look that what he did. So, I mean, if that's, that's probably not the way to attract sponsors and, you know, prospective teams moving forward and as far as career advancement. So hopefully sitting out this race teaches him somewhat of a lesson in terms of how to conduct himself moving forward, and hopefully he'll be better from it. Okay, Jay. Well, this goes back to, and I know it's kind of a difficult thing to, to really know because, as Mike pointed out, ARCA is owned by NASCAR but still runs its own series. Um, so this is a kind of a not necessarily, but they're following NASCAR's precedent. I just don't want to see it become where there's contact and the driver gets suspended. Um, clearly, this was intentional. I, I'm not disputing that, um, but that's where I say of it was not a dangerous um, type of move. I mean, he just drifted him off the track. Um, you have that capability at a road course. I know Mike compared it to the Matt, Matt Kenseth, uh, Joy Logano deal. I mean, he drove him up into the wall in that case, um, so there's a lot more risk involved there. What I look at is going back to the Denny Hamlin. Again, this is at NASCAR, the top level. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain. Denny Hamlin backed up to try and pinch him and prevent him from finishing any better than he was going to. NASCAR didn't even initially uh, do anything, but once they heard Denny Hamlin admit it, they fined him. They didn't suspend him. So that's where I see the inconsistency. But I also think that as we've seen in the past with these younger drivers, uh, if we're going to put it on younger drivers, but drivers coming up uh, through the ranks to get to the Cup Series come with that attitude of push and shove and, and anything goes um, that maybe that's where the Arca Menard series is saying, hey, we got to start teaching them here at this level. That's not okay. So that's not a, a major issue when they get to the next series. Um, so I understand it. I just, like I said, I don't think it was a, an, a hard enough, I don't want to say hard enough, but an egregious enough uh, situation. And I wasn't saying they shouldn't because they were teammates. Um, I'm just saying that, kind of going back to the old day of the, the drivers in the garage are going to police themselves. And I know that if you go to the Brad Keselowski and Carl Edwards uh, situation uh, back uh, 10 years ago, that one got out of hand. I mean, that got to the point where NASCAR had to step in and say, I, be I believe Denny Hamlin uh, actually entered an Xfinity race with the intent to uh, go, go at Carl Edwards, you know, um, I'm sorry, uh, Brad Keselowski and Carl Edwards. You know, that's where it's getting out of hand. If you're, if you're going out there to race just to take somebody out, yes, then, then NASCAR, the sanctioning body, whoever it be, needs to step in. Um, but in this situation, I think it could have gotten maybe a fine or whatever, but I know that generally doesn't work uh, real well. But a warning of some sort, because like I said, I just didn't see it as a, as a real terrible thing of what we called the right hooking at high speeds into a wall. Mike? Unfortunately, ARCA is in a really sad state right now. And this wasn't the only ugly incident from just this race. 
There were a couple yep. in, other incidents where drivers were intentionally wrecking other drivers, and it sounds like the Hingarani penalty is the only one that's going to come out of this one. Another good example is kind of midway through the race, Dale Quarterly made a three-wide move coming down uh, into one of the turns and made a three-wide move, cleanly passed two other cars, uh, and Andres Perez, who was kind of in the middle of that one, took exception to it, and the next turn he just dumped Dale Quarterly for absolutely no re- other reason than I don't appreciate you passing me. So that's, that, that's kind of the, the problem with ARCA right now. It is more expensive to run ARCA than just about any potential financial return. There aren't enough sponsors, and the purses are way, way, way too low uh, to to really justify running ARCAs in terms of trying to make any kind of money off of it. You look at Greg Van Oft, he won the Daytona race, the season opener for ARCA, and he said it cost him more money to go down there, enter that race, and win it than he ended up putting in his pocket between race winnings, any kind of sponsorship deals or anything. He was a net negative in terms of going down there and winning Daytona. So what that's resulted in is an ARCA series that has just become a playground for spoiled rich kids who have never had to actually work on a race car. They've had dad buy whatever they wanted all the way from the go-karts all the way now into the ARCA series, and they're used to having their way with whatever money can buy. And when they don't have their way, they throw a little tantrum, they wreck other race cars, and they just do the kind of things that we saw this past weekend at Mid-Ohio, and it's unfortunate. And I'm not sure what the fix is from ARCA, but one or two race suspensions for drivers who do stuff like this that's addressing the symptom, but the overall problem, I think, is much deeper in ARCA, and it's going to take a much bigger fix to it than just addressing individual driver behavior. Yeah, I have to agree to a certain extent. This isn't the first time that we've seen this happen. It's happened several times within the ARCA Menard series, and um, uh, and that's what's confusing me is that they haven't done anything previous to this, but they did here. Uh, now, I'm not exonerating Sean Hingarani for what he did. I totally agree that he should have been uh, suspended for a race. I have no uh, doubts about that whatsoever. He impacted the outcome of that race. His teammate was running second. He sat and waited for him. Uh, to come by so that he could take him out uh, so that he would not finish second in that race. So you don't impact the the results of the race, and that's obviously what happened here. Uh, I think Dean Thompson tried to fight back uh, and tried to, um, uh, you know, and, and that's the problem. These guys try to get back at each other, and then they're out there with two race cars, uh, bumping and banging, more than bumping and banging. They're trying to destroy one another so that they don't finish the race. Um, and, and in this case, it's impacting the one team, Venturini Motorsports. Uh, they're a premier, uh, team owner in the Arkham Menard series. Uh, but it still costs them money, uh, when something like that happens. So it's not the right way to go about racing. It's not what fans tune in to watch. They, at least, I don't tune in to watch people bump and bang into each other. I watch to, to see who has the talent uh, to finish these races and to, to win cleanly. Um, and I know that's an ideal, 
but and I know I do understand some bumping and banging, but not to the point that you're taking out a teammate, not to the point that you're impacting the results of the race, and that's what happened in this particular case. But I do think uh, that Sean Hingarani did that for a reason, <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> I think that maybe they need to go back and look at the entire race and see if Dean Thompson didn't do something early, earlier in the race uh, that caused Shing, Sean Hingarani uh, to make that move. But um, I do think if you look at that video uh, that's circulating. Dean Thompson, no, Dean Thompson did spin out Sean Hingarani earlier in the race. He, he oh, I don't know he, if he sent him all the way around, but he, yeah, no, Dean Thompson forced him off the racetrack. This this didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, there had been rough racing, full contact racing between them earlier in the race. So this was retaliation uh, for what Dean Thompson did to him earlier in the race. That's why I think that there should have been two penalties. Uh, because also when I look at the video, I seen Dean Thompson move up toward the 15 uh, before I see the 15 uh, moving to push him off the track. So obviously there's bad blood there because this is not the first race that we've seen those two going at each other. And uh, I know I know Arca was in a position they had to do something before it gets worse. Um, but he did impact the, the finish of this race. Dean Thompson was running second, and Sean Hingarani wasn't going to have it. So uh, you, you can't race that way. You just can't do it that way. It's wrong, and I think it forced the hand of Arca. They had to come in with the penalty. Andy. Yeah, and I think what's kind of unfortunate you know, about this incident overshadowing the race is the race itself was actually pretty good. One of the better Arthur races that I've seen in quite a while. Um, you know, so it's too bad that this incident, you know, took the headlines from it, but I just have to hope that, you know, this penalty maybe, you know, can teach Sean and other drivers a lesson about, you know, not intentionally wrecking people. And, you know, again, I didn't see the first incident. You know, it's hard to say if, if what transpired earlier in the race was intentional or not. But, you know, it's pretty obvious that the last incident was intentional. And, you know, I think that that's the tough scenario. And, and you know, you have to feel for the team, you know, that, that works on these race cars because due to, you know, one driver taking out a teammate and, you know, causing them to both spin off into the gravel trap. That's a lot of extra work on those race cars, you know, that the team guys have to go through. So that's what you feel for the most is the guys that have to suffer the consequences because we, I would bet probably my life savings that the driver doesn't have to deal with that at all. Um, and, and that's where I think the suspension and sitting out a race may help teach him a lesson. So that's all you can hope for. Is this the last time we see this? No, probably not. I think that as long as there's racing, there will always be incidents like this. And um, I think the key is what people can take away from them, you know, in a positive manner moving forward. Okay. Talking about moving forward, (laughs) Jay, you get to pick the next hot topic. All right. Let's go with the possible return to Canada for at least a, uh, a race. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily a cup series, but I think that was focused on. Let me pull it up here. But the returning to Canada, NASCAR in some fashion returning to Canada. Um, been a lot more talk about it again. 
Okay, Mike, your thoughts. This is an interesting avenue. Yeah, this is coming from, um, uh, I think Jeff Gluck is repeating, or he reposted an article originally written by Bob Pockers from Fox Sports. Um, but what the, the overall gist is, the word is, the teams have been told to get their passports ready for a potential trip to Canada next year. No details on when, no details on where, no details on whether it is Cup Series or some of the other series from there. So we're, we're still waiting on a lot of information here, but obviously something like passports has a long lead time potentially, so it's important for these teams to know as soon as, as, soon as possible to make sure that they have all their documentation in order to leave the country if necessary in order to make something like this happen. So chances are NASCAR wouldn't, they wouldn't raise that flag if there wasn't at least a possibility of doing something there. So what potentially could they do? Well, the truck series, and I believe the Xfinity series used to run at most sport, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Um, there's also Circuit Jacques Villeneuve. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I speak a different kind of French more fluently than that. Uh, so there's, uh, there's that. And there's also the street race option. Obviously, we just ran the street race in Chicago, and that kind of opened the door a little bit to whether they want to run a similar circuit to Montreal, where the IndyCar uh, series runs, or if they want to come up with a different street race circuit somewhere else within Canada, that's another potential option. So a lot of different things that are possible on the table, we don't know what they're going to be, but we've talked about before where NASCAR wants to reach out to an international market. They've kind of contracted back away from that international market back into exclusively being within the continental United States, but as the popularity of the sport is growing again and as they're reaching out to, we saw Europe with the Garage 56 24-hour Le Mans car and now also potentially going up to Canada for a race with one or more of their top-level series, the sport is trying to reach out and grow that audience beyond the boundaries of the United States, and I like seeing it. Okay. Andy? Yeah, this is um... – a good thing, certainly. I, I think that NASCAR making the return to Canada would be good, um, you know, from their global standpoint. You know, Canada is not really global, I guess, but it, it would be nice to see them once again expand outside of the borders here of the United States. Um, you know, I remember when they did Mexico for the Bush Series and also up at uh, Montreal for the, the Bush Series back in the mid-2000s. Um, and uh, those were some great races, you know. So I would certainly welcome the return, especially, you know, for the Cup Series, um, to go up and race at some of these venues outside of the country. I think that NASCAR right now is uh, in a position to try to grow their their brand globally and, and outside of the U.S., and I think that's a good thing. So, um, you know, certainly to see a return, you know, to some of these racetracks that we've been to perhaps in the past, you know, would be fun. And, and I remember Montreal specifically, if that's in fact where NASCAR is planning to go, it, they put on some very good races. So it would be fun to see them go back there. Um, the question, of course, and I think we've talked about this on the show previously, is at what expense would the addition of a candidate race um, be on the schedule? Um, you know, I guess it would be interesting to see where that date comes from. But nonetheless, I, I think that um, – a return to Canada would be a, a positive thing overall. Absolutely. And I was reading just recently how long the wait is to get passports 
So it makes sense that NASCAR is putting this out here and letting not just the drivers know, but any fans that might want to go up to Montreal or Canada, wherever the race is going to be, uh, to be able to get their passports in order as well. Um, obviously, some of this is to attract uh, an international audience as well. So uh, I, I am all for it. We use, uh, I know the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series has raced in Canada before. Um, we've raced down in Mexico before. Uh, we've gone over to Japan and raced. So, yeah, this is kind of cool. Uh, that we're back to talking about doing that again. Uh, and I think it'll be a good thing for the sport. So I'm all for it. Uh, hey, your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely view it as a positive. Uh, you mentioned the, the races we've seen. I think back to uh, specifically Canadian Tire Park with the uh, truck, um, the final turn there coming down onto the front stretch to the checkered flag. Always provided some great action. Um, I think of Chase Elliott, I believe, made a move there that uh, was w- what most consider his one and only, well, maybe not anymore, um, <laughs> outright wrecking somebody. Uh, it used to be his only time, I should say. Um, the John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer, I mean, the two of them, a third place ended up winning that because they both went into the wall and stayed in the gas and fought along the wall. Um, I'm trying to, I don't remember who won that race. But then we also had the tackle afterwards. Montreal, though, was another good one. Uh, I think back to that one, I think we got to see the double burnout. Uh, Robbie Gordon got penalized for something and didn't feel he should have and did a burnout alongside the winner in that one. I thought that was great. So I think it is a really good thing. Um, The question becomes, A, because obviously all the ones we talked about, even if it is a street course, which I think we need to avoid for now, but they're, they're all road courses up there. And the question then becomes of if you pull an oval or track for another road course, do we have too many road courses? As Mike said, with anything, you don't want to go in the direction of having too many, uh, even of a good thing. Um, then you get into the Trans Am series where it's all road courses. So it'll be interesting to see where it comes from, as Andy mentioned. But I think going up there is a great thing. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Kind of like what Jay said, we've had some really classic moments, not too deep into the past coming out of Canada. Uh, I will say you're right. Um, Chase Elliott definitely did some wrecking of, I think it was Ty Dillon in that race, and there was definitely some hurt feelings, but he didn't do any time on the couch for that one versus this year. He he got a little bit of couch time, well-deserved couch time, I might add, for an intentional wreck at Charlotte. So, yeah, you definitely can't say that's the only time Chase has wrecked somebody. But yeah, it, it kind of highlights there's some there's some classic racing that we've had up in Canada in the in the not too distant past, and I'd like to see it again in the future. We don't know a whole lot about the 2024 NASCAR schedule. We've got some rumors. Some tracks have kind of confirmed their dates that they're going to be coming back. Talladega has confirmed they're going to have their same spring and the fall races. Daytona, you know, the, the tent pole kind of races. But it's those really kind of in the middle fluctuating kind of races that we really don't know yet. We kind of assume the Chicago street race is coming back because they're on that contract. Um, But there's a couple other big question marks that we're not sure yet. And I think the the big question is going to be, if they do add a race in Canada, what could that potentially replace? That's the big question. Uh, There's, there's, 
not a whole lot of excess dates in the Cup Series schedule anymore. So you're looking at potentially taking away a date from a fairly well-established track and potentially moving it to Canada. Races that I would say are vulnerable are the Spring Bristol race, I think is probably the most vulnerable race on the entire schedule. Now, the rumor that I have heard, and this is only just rumor, is that the Spring Bristol race will be removed from the the schedule, and that date will go to North Wilkesboro for a points race. Again, only a rumor. But now you have two races at Darlington. I understand they only just added that second race back at Darlington, but I think the Spring Darlington race may be another one that's at risk. Uh, That's a a potential one to go there. The early Kansas race, I believe, is also another at-risk kind of date. We don't know what the California replacement is going to be on the schedule since Auto Club Speedway is in, at best, a reconstruction process, if not completely removed from the schedule. But there's a couple things working against using that date in Canada. First and foremost is the weather. It's probably going to be too cold, too snowy during the time of year that that Auto Club date fits into the schedule. And the other thing is I really don't know that NASCAR would want to leave the Southern California market to go all the way up to Canada. So you can see there's a lot of speculation and a lot of moving pieces about what they could potentially do here and there in order to make that work. But we're probably not going to know anything for at least another month, maybe two months, until they start releasing the schedule for next season. Okay, all good points. Um, Andy? Yeah, I don't really have any follow-up here on this one. I, I think it'll just be interesting to see what's announced and, and you know, how the schedule changes as a result of this potential ad. Um, you know, so we'll just wait and see what uh, what ultimately comes out of it. I know Joey Logano has been an advocate for not having repeat uh, tracks on the schedule, so taking that Bristol Spring race might uh, actually be – a good one to uh, fill in here, but we'll have to see. For all the, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, pros and cons there to consider as well. I don't have a whole lot to add here as well. So Jay, what's your follow-up? Well, I'm a little confused, and I was trying to look back through uh, through what we had discussed prior. I really thought that the it was official of no longer going to be the Bristol Spring Race that the dirt was going to go away and that North Wilkesboro. I really thought that was official, but I might be mistaken. Um, Mike brought up a good point of the the California date. What's that, Sharon? Yeah, I I said uh, it makes sense to take the Bristol Spring Race off the schedule, um, thinking about Canada, but uh, you're right. It's the North Wilkesboro Race that they're talking about. We'll, We'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, I, like I said, I really thought that one was was official, but um, the California date, the uh, Auto Club, um, that one certainly would be an interesting. They may have to change uh, the time frame, as Mike alluded to. What I can't believe, though, is Mike didn't say it, and Tommy's not here tonight. I'm sure both of you are in favor of taking both dates from Texas and going up there, so uh, I don't know how that one got overlooked, but I'm, I'm with Joey Logano. I would like to see... NASCAR go to 36 different races versus the the double ups that we have. And I know there's certain ones that uh, even if they're good races, Talladega, Daytona, if we would ever get to that, those are going to probably be the last ones that lose that second date. But I, I'm in favor of it. I, I really am. Uh, and there's plenty of options to fill that schedule then as we don't have Iowa on the schedule. Chicagoland could possibly come back. I'm just sharing a little bit of hope. 
Um, you know, they're, they're going out to Portland. Now, there again, I know we're talking about a road course, so uh, I just don't want to see it either of uh, become too many road courses. But I, I'm all in favor of seeing 36 different venues. But I don't have to pay the bills to only have a tra- uh, track open once or a NASCAR race once a year either and find other ways to fill it. So that's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We'll let that be that for uh, that particular topic. Uh, real quick, um, I do want to give a programming note here before we do our roundtable. Uh, this Thursday we are doing another uh, podcast, uh, and it, the timing will be exactly the way it was last week when we did the podcast for those of us here that can make it. Uh, and I just wanted to remind everybody uh, to watch for that podcast to come out sometime early on Thursday evening uh, for our preview show uh, for this week. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. And, Mike, I guess we'll start with you. Sure, why not? It's Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, If we're keeping the same timing on the podcast, I'm probably going to miss it, unfortunately, which is a shame because I really did want to go round and round with Andy here about Corey LaJoy potentially getting extended at Spire Motorsports. Uh, So we we kind of poked at each other a little bit in the group chat while this has been going on. So maybe I can make it, but I wouldn't count on it for Thursday. I'll I'll probably catch you sometime next week. But I should be be able to watch at least watch the races this weekend, and I can talk to my good buddy Andy then. Oh, okay. Andy. Yeah, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and Thursday's also to be determined for me as well. It all just depends on work and what happens this week. But um, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, it's my first time back to the, a NASCAR race, actually, since Mike and I went to Talladega uh, over a year and a half ago. So hard to believe that. Um, but, yeah, I'll be at Loudoun, which is my home game. I'm only an hour from the racetrack. So looking forward to um, – hopefully uh, some good racing this weekend and hopefully being back on this show Thursday. Okay. Jay? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll see what we come up with on Thursday. But uh, if not, we'll, we'll be sure to represent y'all if you aren't here. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm Fan Racing site on Twitter Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook and uh, our website, fanforracing.com. Um, Andy, if you're going to be out at Loudon, I don't know how you feel about doing a uh, maybe a live blog like we did with uh, Brian, but uh, something to think about. Uh, let me know if you have an interest in that. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, uh, we did have a guest on our show earlier tonight during our third half hour. We had Holly Clark. Uh, she's been racing in the SRL Pro Late Models and Modifieds and doing quite well. Uh, she hasn't won her first race yet, but she's had an awful lot of seconds uh, against some pretty heavy hitters in that series. And uh, it was an interesting conversation with her. Uh, tonight and uh, a name that you'll want to watch out for. She it gave she gave us a chance to kind of get to know who she is. Um, so uh, take a listen to that interview again during the third half hour. Um, also, uh, we appreciate our listeners listening, whether it's a live broadcast or the podcast. 
Uh, we appreciate all of you. I know we have a lot of fun doing this show, and we hope you enjoy listening as as much as we enjoy doing it. So um, we'll see if it can work out on Thursday. I know Jay and I will be there. I can check and see if maybe Brian's available and he can help us out with hot topics. Uh, but uh, uh, I'll be putting a notice out uh, on the Fan for Racing radio thread on um on uh, our team's app as well, so watch for that because I need your your thoughts about something that we are considering as well. So with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night. We'll be back uh, Thursday, but as a podcast, and then Monday night again for the live broadcast. So uh, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night here on Pamper Racing Radio, guys. Good night, Have everybody. Good night, Good night everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.